This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone how gullible do they think you are now you can insult you can you can insert they as the establishment the media the republicans and democrats uh, the foreign policy establishment whatever you want it to be but time and again they whoever they happens to be at any given moment has peddled you misinformation Half-truth after half-truth and out, uh, exaggeration and outright lie. And it seems like people are willing to believe it. It seems like no matter how often the mistruths, the exaggerations, the lies on one particular subject are told, you be- they think you're going to believe it. I am talking about Russia. Now, I have been very proud to be the most pro-peace with Russia radio commentator not on the payroll of Russia or RT or anybody associated with Russia. And I wear that label very proudly. If you listen to the show yesterday, we did. We had a live update with an American communist living in Ukraine uh, to talk about these uh, tensions that are escalating there. I've uh, I've done interviews with Vladimir Posner. From Russia before he died, I did a whole series of interviews with Professor Stephen Cohen. I've talked with uh, Brian McDonald from RT. I've spoken with George Beebe, former State Department diplomat, on the Russia situation. But the thing that I am perpetually amazed at, and I'm all for airing different views when it comes to foreign policy. This person thinks we should be tougher with Russia. This person thinks we should want peace with Russia. I have no problem interviewing people who have both of those beliefs. I've done it. Uh, General Wesley Clark, for instance, he said everything that Russia is saying about NATO is a lie and we shouldn't pretend we understand Russia's point of view. I have no problem putting that on, uh, just as I have no problem putting Colonel Douglas McGregor on, who has a different view. But my issue is how often can... The mainstream press, the Republicans and Democrats that run things in Washington and anybody else that's looking to poke the bear towards American and Russian aggression. How often can they be wrong without us, the American public, eventually saying, hey, wait a minute, you're be you're the boy who cried wolf. I don't believe you. Now, this is I haven't looked this up. This is just off the top of my head in recent memory. Let's look at what we've been asked to believe on the Russia situation. We were asked to believe that an American presidential candidate, in this case, Donald Trump, colluded or his campaign colluded with Russia or Russian political operatives to somehow 
um, you know, win the 2016 presidential election in spite of an exhaustive investigation led by the former head of the FBI uh, with uh, seemingly limitless resources. There was no evidence of collusion. The Trump steel dossier. That was an interesting one, wasn't it? We were asked to believe, oh, no, 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 it's not collusion, it's blackmail. The Russians are blackmailing Donald Trump because of this and because of that. They have all this damaging information on him. Oh, and it's all done to get a Trump Tower in Moscow. We now know the whole Steele dossier was pretty much a complete fabrication. And it, lest anyone thinks it's only Trump-related, you remember maybe about a year and a half, two years ago, the story was told and published everywhere that Russia was actually paying a bounty to the he- uh, for the heads of American soldiers killed in Afghanistan. Well, we now know that that wasn't true. And then over the course of the last year or so, we have heard all about this Havana syndrome. Now, this Havana syndrome is pretty serious. I spoke with Mark Polymeropoulos, a former CIA, uh, leading CIA agent, very high-ranking guy. And you could tell that he wasn't making this up. He was suffering very real health repercussions. And when he was on with me, when he was on with Juliet Huddy and me, he basically said that he believes that this was due to Russia. Those were comments that he also made on NBC's Today Show. We have to find out who did this. And so I'd like to see kind of a robust investigation um, by our intelligence services and others to see, you know, who was culpable. It's certainly, you know, the, the Russians... Um, are probably the prime suspect. Now, when Mark Polymeropoulos said that to me, and when Juliet brought it up with me on a, the 5 a.m. news hour that we were co-hosting, I said the same. I, I said the same thing both times. I said, "Excuse me, is there any actual evidence that the Russians actually participated in this Havana syndrome business and attacking our diplomats?" And the answer, of course, was no. There was none. But that didn't stop the at certain aspects of the intelligence community from putting this narrative out there. It didn't stop the mainstream media, both conservative outlets and, and liberal outlets, from publishing this, that American diplomats are being attacked by Russia. Well, now, according to a new intelligence estimate, the CIA has, excuse me, a new intelligence assessment, The CIA has eliminated the possibility that the mysterious symptoms known as Havana syndrome are the result of an ongoing global campaign by a hostile power aimed at U.S. diplomats and spies. In a number of cases, the CIA has not been able to rule out foreign involvement, including many that that connected the U.S. embassy in Havana beginning in 2016. However, in hundreds of other cases... The United States top spy agency has found plausible alternative explanations. In particular, the CIA deemed it unlikely that Russia is running a campaign to target members of the American intelligence community and diplomats who have symptoms of brain injuries. And that, my friends, is what I want you to keep in mind the next time you hear a story about Russia or Vladimir Putin being the boogeyman because of X, Y, Z. I was amazed 
over the course of the last two years, rather, of the lack of critical thinking and the lack of anybody questioning this story. The media just told us that Russia has this magic ray that will give our diplomats headaches. Well, what does it do? Does it kill them? No. Does it give them get them to give out uh, information? No. It's a magic ray of some sort. Well, maybe they're trying to target the the information on their laptops or their cell phones, and this is just some sort of a, a byproduct of it. Is there any evidence of it? No. Didn't stop any media outlet from printing this. Didn't stop any TV or radio station from publishing it. And nobody even questioned it, except for me. I, I you know, I, I don't know of anyone else that was really questioning this Havana syndrome business. So I want you to keep in mind the next time the, the you, they try to spoon feed you a story that has Vladimir Putin and the Russians being the boogeyman that they've been wrong time after time after time. And especially if they're relying on unnamed sources, although I'll be I'll be honest, this Washington Post story that claims that this uh, CIA intelligence estimate clears the Russians, that's also based on anonymous sources as well. So I want you to be leery of these stories. I want you to think with a critical lens. And I want you to ask yourself the question when it's being shouted to you by TV and radio commentators, or when you read the headlines in major mainstream news publications, does this make sense? Does this make sense? Because right now, with 8,500 troops poised to go to eastern Ukraine, we are on the verge of a hostile of a war with the second largest nuclear power in the world. And I don't know about you. I really like that caller. I don't know if you heard Rita Cosby's show a couple hours ago, but I really like that caller who called her and said that he's not willing to spend one drop of American blood defending Ukraine from the Russians. You know what? That guy spoke for me. Neither am I. I I think it's terrible that we are sending all this lethal aid to the Ukrainians to fight their own people in some cases and Russians in other cases. My philosophy would be, with respect to this Ukraine business, stay out of it. Stay out of it. I think we've done enough damage. Stay out of it. Do not send troops. Do not send lethal aid. Uh, There is no reason for us to risk a war with the second largest nuclear power in the world. We should be looking to work with Russia. Let's work with Russia to to tamp down tensions in Syria. Let's work with Russia on nuclear proliferation and reducing nuclear proliferation. Let's work with Russia on going after radical Islamic terrorist groups like ISIS. Instead, we have 8,500 troops that are poised to shoot at them, the Russians. This is crazy. For what? For what? Do you give a damn whether the Donbass region of Ukraine Belong where they all speak Russian, by the way, belongs to the Ukrainians or the Russians. I don't. At some point, it's on them. That is one of the many issues. You want to comment? You want to you, you take issue with this? You can. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. This, as long as this Russia war continues, uh, or the, the drumbeat to war... I don't care what the ratings say. I don't care what the live stream numbers say about how listened to these particular segments are. I am going to be focusing on this because 
this is one of the most serious issues in the world, and it's one that I get the sense that American news consumers and American audiences are not attuned to. And what I want to do is I want to teach you – not teach you because I'm not in a position to teach anything. I want to encourage you to think critically about all this media coverage, especially as it relates to the Russia issue, because the one thing that the Democrats and Republicans, as if if you didn't hear my interview with uh, Russell Bentley yesterday, I played audio of Tony Blinken and I played audio of Joni Ernst. With very few exceptions, the one thing that the Democrats and the Republicans seem to agree upon is they want more perpetual hostility with Russia. Who benefits? The defense industrial complex benefits, the military industrial complex benefits, defense contractors benefits, uh, benefit. Who benefits? Do you benefit? And thank goodness for people like Rand Paul and Tulsi Gabbard uh, out there and Bernie Sanders, quite frankly, out there calling out the craziness of this rush to war with Russia. Uh, This is one of the many issue uh, issues that I am going to speak with uh, Roger Stone about in about uh, 10 minutes. Roger Stone of course, is a New York Times bestselling author and uh, a close confidant of uh, former President Donald Trump. We're going to talk about all that stuff, too, get his take on the presidential election, get his take on what's happening with the January 6th committee. But uh, Roger Stone, while he is not a Russian agent, has worked on some political campaigns in Ukraine over the years. So I'm going to ask him his take on this rush to war. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. That is 800-848-9222. The Washington Post has this quote from a CIA intelligence official on this Havana syndrome business. Quote, we assess it is unlikely that a foreign actor, including Russia, is conducting a sustained worldwide campaign harming U.S. personnel with a weapon or mechanism. Now, remember, that stands in stark contrast with what seasoned diplomats like Mark Palomaropoulos were saying publicly. Again, this was Mark Palomaropoulos on NBC's Today Show, and he made similar remarks when he spoke with me on this show, Made sim- and, and he seems like a, a smart guy and a very honest guy, but this is what he said. We have to find out who did this, and so I'd like to see kind of a robust investigation um, by our intelligence services and others to see, you know, who is culpable. It's certainly, you know, the Russians um, are probably the prime suspect. Now, we've had now this robust investigation and the intelligence officials are saying that it wasn't Russia. So I, I don't blame Mark Polymeropoulos for saying that we should have a robust investigation. However, I do think in the future, diplomats, uh, CIA agents of Mark Polymeropoulos's standing should think twice before publicly calling out the Russians. Why is it always the Russians? They're always the big bad wolf. And in this case, the media is once again the boy who cried big bad wolf. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. If you haven't followed the whole Havana Syndrome thing, basically at the end of 2016, diplomats and spies serving in Cuba, began to report strange sounds and sensations, followed by unexplained illnesses and symptoms. Because it began in Cuba, that's why they call it the Havana Syndrome. It included ringing in the ears, vision loss, and balance issues. And 
the fellow that I just played for you, Mark Polymeropoulos, is one of those guys that has experienced those those issues. So in 2020, the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine said that some of the observed brain injuries were consistent with the effects of directed microwave energy. Russia has consistently denied any involvement in the matter, and nobody, just as was the case with the Russian bounties, just as with the case with the Russian election collusion, nobody has bothered to produce any evidence to the contrary. 800-848-9222, that's 1-800-848-WABC. Joe is in the Bronx. Hello. Yes, good morning. Uh, very briefly, uh, with regards to the Russia situation, you know, you're definitely not going to get a straight story from the mainstream mass media. It's very tendentious. It's very biased. Putin is the villain. Putin is the caricature of, you know, the evil in the world, focus of evil in the world. Again, it's all nonstop propaganda. So that being said, in order to get a reasoned analysis and a reasoned uh, you know, uh, overview of the situation with regard to NATO expansion in Eastern Europe. There are two people no, no, that I recommend. One is Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. I'm sure you're familiar with him. Yes, you mentioned uh, him in the past. You, you've mentioned him before, and I've told you before every time that you've mentioned him that he's been a guest on this show before that I've spoken. Yes, about. of course. So just yeah, just for the audience that's not familiar with him, wonderful uh, analysis. And you can reach him at paulcraigroberts.org, O-R-G, and also the Council for the National National Interest. So again, you can get them at uh, councilforthenationalinterest.org. Uh, uh, yeah, .org. So that being said, what Putin is doing right now is well within his rights because you have to remember that at the end of the Cold War, when uh, in 1991, when the Soviet Union fell apart, <clears throat> the United States pledged that we would not move one inch to the east, advancing NATO membership into former Warsaw Pact countries, or former constituents of the Soviet Union. We have done exactly that every single uh, decade since the, the Soviet Union fell apart. We've done exactly that. Every Warsaw Pact nation is now a member of NATO. Not only that, but countries that used to be constituent republics of the Soviet Union, right on Russia's doorstep, Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia, the Baltic states, they are all full-fledged members of NATO. Okay. Now, number one. Furthermore, there is no reason for NATO expansion. Well, I, I agree with that, Joe. And again, we don't need to give everybody a, a history lesson on Eastern Europe, but um, there is dispute about what you just claimed. Now, that's been what you just said regarding the pledge by America not to expand eastward of NATO. I have always tended to believe that's true. And other people, especially people like me who want peace with Russia, they've always uh, claimed that was true. But um, there are transcripts of a conversation between Secretary of State James Baker and uh, Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev on the subject of German reunification. And it, it does it does. There is a gray area there. So what you're saying is not black and white. It is much more gray. This is what it says in that transcript. Because, look, I'm trying to be an honest broker here. We understand the need for assurances to the countries in the East. If we maintain a military presence in a Germany that is part of NATO, there would be no extension of NATO's jurisdiction for forces of NATO one inch to the East. That's the alleged promise that Joe and everybody else is talking about there. But. With the historical context, there the notion th- th- that's not a formal pledge. That's one person speaking. Now, I believe that the Russians believe that, and uh, I don't see. 
putting aside whether there was a pledge 30 years ago or not as to whether to expand NATO eastward uh, and or to not expand NATO eastward, my view is who cares? What does the United States gain by continuing to have all these countries on Russia's borders in NATO? We gain nothing. We gain an Article 5 treaty obligation to defend these countries if they're ever attacked. No mas. Um, I, so I, to me, it doesn't matter what James Baker said in 1991. It matters what's happening in the year 2022. 800-848-WABC. Stu is in Brooklyn. Hello, Stu. Morning, Frank. Frank, a lot of years ago, I was bouncing around the Caribbean on a gray ship during the height of the Cuban crisis. Why were we off of Cuba? Because the Russians dared to put missiles 90 miles from the United States. Now we are telling them, we're going to go to war with you because you dare oppose having missiles put right on the border with Russia. That's point one. The second point, defend the Ukrainians. The bastards were the largest contributors to the Waffen SS during the war. The hell with them. Well, uh, I don't agree with that, Stu. Look, I, again, just as I'm less concerned with what James Baker said 30 years ago, I don't think you can hold a country in 2022 accountable for their behavior in the 1930s and 40s. I mean, very few people that are alive in Ukraine today were making those decisions about Nazi collaborations in the 30s and 40s. So let's let's not do that. I mean, to me, it strikes me as if not racist, at least, uh, I don't know, some sort of prejudice against uh, against a whole country because of the behavior of the country's leadership in the 30s and 40s. Whatever Ukraine wants to do, God bless you. My view is it's their problem. John is in Brooklyn. Hello. Hey, Frank, it's John from Brooklyn. And, you know, I am I really, really, really like and respect your opinion many times. And I listen to your show almost every night when I drive home from work. But I do not, you know, we, we, whether we like it or not, the Russians are taking over the entire planet. The communists are taking over the entire planet. And we have not stepped up and stopped them at the end of World War II. And I hate to say it, but when are we stopping them? We're going to stop them when they take over Canada, when they're in Mexico? I mean, who are we kidding? Sooner or later, communism has to be stopped. We have no choice, right? Uh, John, thank you. I, I got a break because I have to get to Roger Stone in just a minute. But I'm glad John called because that is a text. And, and John seems like a nice guy, and I appreciate the fact that he listens to this show. But that is a textbook example of the result of what happens when people believe this constant drumbeat of Russia hysteria. For starters, he talks about, we didn't stop the Russians in World War II. Well, we didn't fight the Russians in World War II. That's number one. You know who they fought? They fought the Nazis along with us. And you know what? There were 25 million Russian people that died fighting the Nazis. That should count for something, number one. Number two, you want to say Russia's expanding. They're not coming to Canada. They're not coming to Mexico. Uh, Let them try and see what happens. Uh, And I have a feeling we'd be reacting the same way Vladimir Putin's reacting in Eastern Europe right now. Additionally, you talk about the expansion of communism. Russia is not communist. Putin is a staunch anti-communist. You could say he's an authoritarian, 
Uh, but he's probably the second least authoritarian leader that Russia's had in the last hundred years, maybe more. Um, the communists are Putin's number one adversaries within Russia. So uh, don't fall for this uh, pro wrestling style media coverage of geopolitics. R- look between the lines. You can be against communism and then still recognize the fact that Putin's not a communist. If anything, he you know is very interested in lining the pockets of his cronies. Not a very communist thing to do. All right, we're going to talk with Roger Stone. He uh, knows a lot about this issue. He's uh, actually worked in Ukraine, and for about three years, uh, a lot of people tied to the Mueller team tried to portray him as a Russian agent. Uh, of course, there was no evidence of that. Now... He is somebody who is probably doing a little bit of a victory lap because there is yet another negative article about his old nemesis, Elliot Spitzer. We'll tell you about it in just a minute. Roger Stone joins me straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. I always really appreciate the opportunity to talk with Roger Stone. Uh, He's been one of the biggest newsmakers in the world. He's been uh, on top of the world. He's elected a number of presidents. And then there have been times when he has been uh, subject to an early morning FBI raid. I'm proud to say that uh, for the last 22 years or so, I've been Roger's friends through all those times, good times and bad. And he's kind enough to stay up late with us tonight. Roger, uh, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Frank, it is uh, great to be with you. Life is indeed a roller coaster. Uh, some is. days, some days uh, you bite the dog. Other days, the dog bites you. Yeah, Roger. As I alluded to uh, a couple of minutes ago, you've worked on a couple of political campaigns in Ukraine. Uh, give me your take on what we're seeing here. Now, the news is that uh, there are eighty five hundred troops poised to go to Ukraine, and uh, we're seeing a, an, an escalation of the tensions between the United States and the West in general on the side of the Ukrainian government and uh, Putin and Russia on the other side. How do you see this whole thing playing out? I must tell you, Frank, I think the rhetoric of the Biden administration uh, and the neocon defense uh, complex is very, very dangerous. President Joe Biden's threatening that Russia will pay a heavy price for any incursion into Ukraine. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken warns of massive consequences. Tonight, Senator Roger Wicker told Fox News that we don't rule out first use nuclear weapons. This is this is insanity. The neocons, uh, those beating the drums of war, would have us believe that the Russians intend to invade and take all of Ukraine and uh, insert a puppet government to regain the former greatness of the Soviet Union. When Putin, I think, has been very, very clear that what he wants is a commitment that Ukraine will not join NATO, which really means he wants a commitment that they that the West will not put missiles on his border. 
the exact position of President John F. Kennedy in mm. 1962. Uh, and in that particular conflict, Kennedy agreed not to invade Cuba. He also secretly agreed to remove some of our missiles from Turkey and Italy, and Khrushchev stepped down, and this, the world uh, av- uh, avoided what could have been a nuclear war. We could have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of deaths from uh, this particular charade when nobody seems to be listening to what Putin is saying. Uh, If you're concerned with communism, the communist menace in the world is China. They're manipulating our currency. Uh, They're stealing our intellectual property. They're harassing our American flagged ships in the South China seas. There's the real communists. But this administration just wants to talk about Russia, Russia, Russia. Speaking as someone whose family members were mowed down by Russian tanks in Budapest in 1956, uh, I have no great love for the Russians. But I agree with your analysis, Frank. Uh, Putin is a thug. He's an authoritarian. But he is not a communist in the traditional sense. And I, I don't think he intends to invade Ukraine. But we are stepping closer and closer to war and it is very dangerous. Mm, interesting. Uh, you know, we've been covering the vaccine issue a lot, both as a public health issue and as a political issue, and certainly as a legal issue, which it's become. You know, NPR, there's a podcast uh, called uh, Reveal, and uh, there's a journalist, I believe the name is Ike Sriskrindara, Kringarajaja, uh, I'm mispronouncing it, I know. But uh, they said in June of last year that um, that the <clears throat> microchip vaccine conspiracy theory began with an April 2020 appearance that you did on the Joe Piscopo show in which uh, I was producing Joe's show at the time. And you made a remark about Bill Gates and vaccines. They said that the whole vaccine conspiracy theory began with that radio interview and the subsequent media coverage of that radio interview. Do you think that's true? Did the, did you start the whole microchip vaccine conspiracy theory? Uh, first, of all, first of all, it's not a conspiracy theory. There are, there are numerous published, uh, uh, totally legitimate reports that some are advocating the use of a chip to determine who has and has not been vaccinated. So actually, I, I feel completely vindicated uh, when I said that. Uh, And I could point to multiple sources where that is being uh, actively advocated around the world. When it comes to the vaccination, I'm a believer in choice. Let every individual make their own choice. I would not choose to have it because it has not been through clinical trials, because those who manufacture it bear no legal liability. Uh, And I think there's been an enormous news blackout. If you only watch CNN and MSNBC and you only read The New York Times or The Washington Post, I don't think you are keeping track of the people who are being maimed, injured, and killed. Uh, but even under the government's own report, uh, if one per- if they say 300,000 people have been injured or killed, and that's 1% of what they believe the total is, well, that means you're approaching a million people either injured or killed. So I would choose not to have it. But I reject the idea that this kind of monitoring is a conspiracy theory. It is not. It is being actively advocated in a number of quarters now. We are seeing, if people just tuning in, we're talking with former Trump advisor, longtime Trump confidant, uh, Roger Stone. And uh, we are seeing some criticism from Donald Trump 
uh, from the basically the Trump wing of the Republican Party on the vaccine issue. Uh, Candace Owens, in her podcast interview with him, she basically, uh, when Donald Trump was dismissing concerns about the vaccine and taking credit for the development of the vaccine, Candace Owens basically said, oh, that's because he's older and gets his information from newspapers and conventional news uh, sources, not the Internet. This uh, seems to be something that we're seeing at even at some uh, Trump rallies. He mentioned taking credit for the vaccine. There was a smattering of booze, including in an appearance he did with Bill O'Reilly recently. In your opinion, as a political analyst and as somebody that knows the Trump wing of the Republican Party better than anybody, has Trump become too moderate on the vaccine issue to appeal to the Trump wing of the GOP? Uh, we appear to have an anomaly here. Um, the vast majority of those uh, who, uh, who question the safety and the effect, uh, efficiency, effectiveness of the vaccination are Republicans. Uh, a vaccination, by definition, is supposed to prevent you from being infected with a virus. So what we're talking about is clearly not a vaccination because record numbers of people who have been vaccinated uh, are contracting the virus. And now they're being told they need a booster shot, which is very scary. On the other hand, uh, it's fully known that the president, uh, while he supports uh, and defends the vaccination, he's also made it clear that he's not for mandatory vaccination, that it, that each person must make his own uh, choice. That, by the way, is identical to the position of Governor Ron DeSantis, thought to be the next up if Trump does not run for president, takes the identical position, just to be clear. However, a Reuters poll 10 days ago showed that if there was a runoff uh, or Republican primary for the nomination in 2024, Trump led at 54. DeSantis was at 11. Uh, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie was at two. Negative former Vice two. President, uh, no, actually two. Well, <laughs> he didn't even get a point for each hundred pounds. Otherwise, he would have been at three. Uh, but uh, and former Vice President uh, Mike Pence was at seven. So. Trump's domination of the Republican Party, despite his position on vaccinations, continues to be dominant. Uh, it's kind of like Nixon going to China. In other words, the people who were most skeptical about opening the doors to China were conservative Republicans, but they were Nixon supporters. Mm. So I don't think it has hurt him politically. I don't agree with his position, by the way, uh, and I've told him that respectfully. Uh, but Donald Trump never backs down. Uh, and I do think that part of what Candace Owens says is true. Unless you are on Gab or Telegram uh, or BitChute uh, or or Parler or these more uh, open and inclusive social media platforms, you're missing an awful lot of news about the COVID-19 situation uh, and the record number of deaths uh, and injuries uh, around the world. If you only watch CNN, you would think that everything is terrific and everything is not terrific. You alluded to uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. He, uh, of course, is been has been talked about as a 2024 presidential candidate. He's a Floridian. Trump's a Floridian. You're a Floridian. And um, uh, there's there's been a big article in The New York Times saying that there's a lot of tensions between the two, DeSantis and Trump. Trump uh, basically was not happy, apparently, that DeSantis wouldn't publicly take himself out of consideration and defer to Trump 
should Trump run in 2024? He apparently also was alluding to DeSantis as uh, one of these politicians that didn't have the courage to say whether or not he'd been vaccinated. Tell us, as a guy that knows the nitty gritty better than anybody, if, is the Trump-DeSantis feud real or is that media hype? Well, I, I saw the president uh, seeking to downplay it with Sean Hannity the other night. But uh, I, I'm, I believe in loyalty, Frank. Let's be very clear. Prior to Donald Trump's endorsement, Ron DeSantis was a little-known congressman with an ill-fitting suit, a bad haircut, and an undistinguished record. Every single Republican in the state legislature in Florida, and we control both houses, endorsed uh, Adam Putnam, the agriculture commissioner for governor. Every single member of the Republican congressional delegation from Florida, with the exception of Matt Gates, supported Adam Putnam. Every single Republican county chairman in the entire state endorsed Adam Putnam. It was Donald Trump's endorsement alone that lifted DeSantis out of obscurity to the nomination. And then, in all honesty, Trump had to come to Florida in the last two weeks to drag DeSantis, who is a lackluster campaigner, to say the least, over the finish line after DeSantis essentially lost two debates to his Democratic opponent, the the black mayor of uh, Tallahassee. So I believe that Donald Trump made the political career of Ron DeSantis, and therefore DeSantis owes the former president wide berth. He has plenty of time to run for president. He has to run for reelection in 2022. He should recognize that if he does not have the enthusiastic and active support of Donald Trump, he may not be governor. He is not a lead pipe cinch for reelection. It will be very competitive. Every other person who would like to run in 2024, and there are many, has told the president, the former president, that they would defer. Uh, Ron DeSantis declines to do that. He's disingenuous when he says he's not running. He's actively raising money. He's actively organizing. I dare say when I get back the results of a Freedom of Information Act request I've filed, that he and the state airplane are out of the state more than they are in the state. Hmm. Uh, So I think he he has done a good job as governor in some areas. Uh, His mask mandate ban is great, but when when the 10 largest counties in the state thumb their nose at him and he then fines them and the Biden administration pays the fine and the kids, 1.6 million of them, are still being masked, he's being disingenuous. He needs to fire those school board members. He has that authority uh, and appoint school board members who will uphold the state law, which says you can't require children to wear masks. What he's done instead is to introduce an opt out program where parents can opt out and have their children not wear masks. I argue that should be an opt-in program. If, if parents want their children to wear masks in school, they can say so, and that can happen. But otherwise, children are required unless the parents take some action. So uh, I think that the, the governor DeSantis should stick to his knitting. There, there is plenty of time for him to run for president. Uh, and as the Reuters poll shows, Trump would crush him in, in a contest. I mean, 54 to 11, you can do the math better than I can. Uh, This is the party of Donald Trump. This is the party of America first. And the president's comments on vaccinations notwithstanding, he is still in a commanding position if he chooses to run again. Well, do you think the president or the former president, Donald Trump, will ultimately choose to run? Uh, I don't think that he could make that decision until we see the results of the 2022 elections. Are we going to have fair, honest, transparent elections? See, I don't think you can say whether the 2020 election was stolen or not. 
you can certainly say there was a record number of anomalies and irregularities that would lead one to that conclusion, but we never had any complete judicial or legislative review of the evidence. So while you can't say that it was definitely stolen, although I believe that to be the case, you also can't say that it wasn't because no court, no legislature would weigh the evidence or examine the evidence. Uh, and of course, you have ongoing audits in, in Georgia, uh, in, in Arizona. Uh, you found we now have over 100,000 voters in Wisconsin who were evidently over the age of 100 years old who voted in the last election. We learned that last week. Uh, very troubling. So I don't think that President Trump can make a decision until he sees what happens in 2022. Now, you have, with the rising gas prices, uh, the potential for uh, a nuclear world war uh, over whether or not Ukraine should join NATO and whether uh, Putin feels secure with the idea of the West putting nuclear missiles on his border, identical to the position of John Kennedy in 1962. Uh, food shortages in the most prosperous uh, nation on Earth I mean, I, 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 you know, uh, John Katsimatidis would know more about this than anyone in the world because he has been in the grocery business. Uh, but the idea of food shortages in the United States based on uh, supply chain issues that are that are that are in turn blamed on COVID-19. I'm sorry, I think this is manipulation, but it does create the perfect backdrop for a Republican resurgence in both houses uh, if indeed we have uh, a fair, transparent, honest election. The most stunning numbers I've seen, Frank, in this just past week, I saw some national polling now showing Hispanic voters splitting 50-50 between Republicans and Democrats. Yeah. Wow. That, that uh, self-identification, that has never happened. Uh, that is a historical shift. All right. I have to uh, pick your brain on a few other issues, including uh, the issue of another governor, a, more, a, a former governor, to be precise. That's Elliot Spitzer. For people that are listening around the country, Roger Stone has been a thorn in the side of Elliot Spitzer for years, many, many years, well over a decade. And in fact, uh, by and large, he's gotten the better of Elliot Spitzer. It's public record that it was Roger Stone that first tipped off the FBI to Elliot Spitzer's fondness for prostitutes. Uh, there's been a long, ongoing uh, war of words and a, war, a political war between Elliot Spitzer and Roger Stone. And in fact, there are a lot of people that believe that Roger Stone left this voicemail for Elliot Spitzer's father. This is a message for Bernard Spitzer. You will be subpoenaed to testify before the Senate Committee on Investigations on your shady campaign loans. You will be compelled by the Senate Sergeant-at-Arms if you resist the subpoena you will be arrested and brought to Albany. And there's not a damn thing your phony, psycho, piece of son can do about it. Bernie, your phony loans are about to catch up with you. You will be forced to tell the truth. And the fact that your son's a pathological liar will be known Shortly after that, the majority leader of the state Senate, uh, Joe Bruno, uh, let Roger go as the head of their anti-Spitzer political operation at the time, 
over the weekend, new details emerging on this incident that Elliot Spitzer had with a Russian woman at the Plaza Hotel. Uh, For starters, after apparently choking her and beating her up a bit, the police arrive and one of the first things he says, Spitzer, is, do you know who I am? Do I need to call Bill? Roger, I've been with you in a lot of uh, interesting situations. I've never heard you utter the words, do you know who I am? In your view, is that uh, a textbook example of Elliot Spitzer's hubris? Well, first of all, that was the worst Roger Stone impression I've ever heard by anyone. Secondarily, it refers, of course, to the fact that Elliot Spitzer was elected attorney general with an illegal $9 million loan from his father. He was sued by his two Democratic opponents. He perjured himself in the trial. Uh, That loan was illegal. And then he became the sheriff of Wall Street. So how can you be the paragon of virtue if your own initial election was illegal? Secondarily, when I first made it public that he cavorted with ladies of the night while wearing uh, knee-high, droopy black socks, BuzzFeed tried to claim that that was a conspiracy theory or a canard created by me. I pointed out that the first source on that was the New York Post, who uh, first reported it with an unattributed a quote. Then a, a very well-known prostitute by the name of Irma came forward and said not only did he wear black socks, he also wore a New York Yankees cap while he was cavorting uh, with uh, ladies of the night. Uh, and now you see in this latest report that nothing has changed. He uses his vast wealth to hide his, his, his crimes. Uh, he denies to the New York police uh, that there's a problem. He name drops to try to get out of it. Nothing has really changed. The steamroller has been steamrolled. And uh, he apparently, uh, he again, used an alias at the hospital. Uh, you would think just a- hours after choking this um, Russian, I don't know if she's a prostitute, but certainly a Russian woman that he had a relationship with and was paying, um, you would think at some point the days of George Fox would be over, wouldn't you, Roger? Yeah, he, so he used an alias uh, when he was initially busted uh, for uh, for cavorting with prostitutes. Frank, my problem here is one of hypocrisy. As attorney general, he locked up men for frolicking with prostitutes when he himself was doing the exact same thing. As a libertarian, I think prostitution should be legalized and should be regulated and probably be taxed. Uh, and, uh, and there should probably be, you know, health examinations. Uh, but I take an extreme libertarian view. So this is not I'm not coming at this from a moral point of view. I'm coming at it from the point of hypocrisy. Uh, Elliot Spitzer never understood the job of governor was not just to give orders to the Senate uh, majority leader and the assembly of the speaker and just assume that they would go along. That's not how our process works. He was not a dictator. That's why he was not governor very long and why I was delighted to see David Patterson, who I think is a very good guy, uh, take his place. Yeah, and uh, uh, it's uh, obviously I was as well. January 6th committee, uh, we've spoken about the subpoena that was issued to you. You've indicated that uh, if you're called, you will plead the Fifth Amendment. What is the legal status of your um, of this inquisition and their efforts to get you to submit evidence to this committee? Well, I was uh, subpoenaed uh, and uh, I lived up to my legal obligations to subpoena. I appeared before the committee where I invoked my Fifth Amendment rights, not because I've done anything wrong. Let's be very clear. Uh, I was not on the uh, ellipse. I did not march to the Capitol. I was not at the Capitol. 
any claim, assertion, or implication that I knew about or was involved in any way in any illegal activity is categorically false. In fact, Reuters reported a month ago that senior FBI officials confirmed that they had found no evidence of my involvement in any kind of conspiracy. So it's not that I have anything to hide, but I have direct experience with the House Democrats' ability to take innocuous, immaterial, or irrelevant statements and twist them into crimes. And therefore, I invoke my Fifth Amendment right not to answer questions. I can tell you from the tenor and structure of the questions, their target is Donald Trump. Uh, They seek to bring charges against Donald Trump. What bothers me is they're trying to criminalize constitutionally protected political activity. Every American has a question, has the right to question uh, the outcome of the election. Every American has a right to, to be in a peaceful rally doing that. And every American has the right to uh, petition their government to address their grievances. What was being sought on January 6th was a 10 day delay before the certification of the election so the many irregularities could be examined. I never realistically thought that was going to happen, but at the same time, you have a bunch of misguided but unarmed people uh, crashing into the Capitol uh, and being charged with trespassing. Being kept in inhuman uh, conditions in the D.C. jail for for trespassing uh, which is, in essence, the, a violation of Geneva Convention. I mean, we are treating American citizens worse than we do terrorists is not an appropriate response. Those who broke the law should be prosecuted. But let's be very clear. What happened on January 6th was politically unproductive for Donald Trump, did not help his cause. Uh, and you would have to be misguided to think that it did. Roger, I have hours worth of questions to ask you, but I'm going to settle for just one more. Yesterday, uh, former New York State Assembly Speaker Sheldon Silver passed away. Uh, You were associated a bit with the Carl Palladino campaign in 2010, where he criticized Andrew Cuomo as a womanizer, said his prowess was legendary, and called uh, Dean Skelos and uh, Sheldon Silver crooks. Both of them subsequently went to jail. But my question for you about Silver is, it was reported in the waning days of the Trump administration that possibly due to advocacy from people associated with Jared Kushner, that Sheldon Silver was going to be the recipient of a Trump pardon. Ultimately, he wasn't and didn't get that pardon. Uh, Do you have any insight into why Shelley Silver didn't ultimately get that Donald Trump pardon? Well, it's because somebody, I have no idea who, Frank, somebody leaked that to the New York Times that it was under consideration. Uh, And when that happened, uh, the uproar uh, was so overwhelming that it was taken off the table. So it is one of the few times the New York Times has actually done a public service. Um, I I uh, I uh, I don't uh, wish the uh, the deceased any ill will, but it is ironic that Carl Palladino's campaign for governor collapsed when he said that Andrew Cuomo was a shameless womanizer, Sheldon Silver was a crook. And Dean Skelos, the Senate uh, majority leader, belonged in jail. So Carl was three for three. Uh, Roger, I have a feeling that you have no idea who leaked that information to the New York Times about as, as, about as much as I don't know my own name. Uh, Roger, it is always a treat to talk with you, my friend. I'll look forward to uh, our next in-person interaction.
Well, Frank, you do a great job there at WABC. Uh, I, I get me to stay up this late. You got to be special. So I'm <laughs> glad to be with you. And my best to your wife. I know she uh, has been battling some health issues, but seems to be on the mend now, from what I understand. Uh, she is, uh, I think, won her war with stage four cancer. Thanks be to God and the healing power of Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, and some Western medicine and some alternative, mostly alternative medicine. But Frank, thanks for asking, Frank. Uh, and I will give uh, her your regards. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And uh, my wife sends uh, her regards to your cat. Uh, or cats. 800-848-WABC. If you want to comment on my discussion with Roger Stone, questions, comments, complaints, whatever. 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. When the night has come and the land is dark and the moon is the only light we'll see. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh. I just got this SMS no, text message from Roger Stone. <laughs> he says, I, I don't know if he'd mind me sharing this, but uh, I am because it's funny. He said, Somebody leaked that silver pardon story to the New York Times. It had to be somebody who was integrally involved in the pardon process and probably monitoring it very closely for their own reasons. I have no idea who that could have been, of course. Of course, Roger himself was the recipient of a Donald Trump pardon. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on uh, any aspect of my discussion with Roger Stone, the uh, vaccine stuff, the Ukraine stuff, the Trump DeSantis stuff, or the uh, Shelly Silver aspect of it, any subject is fair game. No more guests for the rest of the show. So there's going to be plenty of opportunity for you and I to speak. And right now is as good a time as any to get through because there are eight, count them, eight open lines. And if you're nice to Philip and if you have your radio turned off, off, chances are he will give you the opportunity to talk with me. 800-848-9222. Meantime, if you want to do something nice for your stomach and your your digestive health overall, think about purchasing some life change tea at getthetea.com. Now, what is getthetea.com? It's a website that's a portal to better digestive health. Life change tea is a gentle daily cleanse that tastes great and works to get things moving. Stress can wreak havoc on our digestive tract, and if you're feeling stopped up and bloated, that is never a good thing. Life Change Tea is all natural. It's non-GMO. One package will last you an entire month. Gives you a ton of energy without caffeine. You can only get it, though, by going to the website getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. Use the promo code FRANK for free shipping. It's promo code FRANK. Uh, so while you're there, you could check out all the other products designed for your optimum health. Don't miss out. Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com, the tea that makes you go. By the way, I was remiss in giving a shout-out to one of our great listeners yesterday, um, a guy named Sal on Twitter. He goes by the handle Hermit Sal. He had text messaged me a few days ago. And you can always text message me at 8168-MORANO. That's 8168-M-O-R-A-N-O. He had text messaged me a few days ago suggesting, hey, Frank, you know, it would be great to hear you talk with um, 
Russell Bentley again, the American communist living in Ukraine. I took his suggestion and I meant to give him a shout out yesterday and I neglected to do so. So big shout out to Hermit Sal for that suggestion. Your calls next hour, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. We're going to go through your best and worst email. So if you have email on any subject, you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at WABCRadio.com. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Make sure you get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Now, I'd like to consider myself a pretty nice guy. Now, you're never the, your own best judge, I suppose, as to whether you're a nice guy or not. But I try and get along with everybody, try to do right by everybody. I try to be relatively polite in my interactions with people. I've never tried to hurt anybody or be rude to anybody. I always try to be mindful of other people's feelings. I try to treat people how I'd like to be treated. However, and I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a group of people not named Mark Simone that say, I'm not a nice guy. However, if there were to be a group of people that were to say that I'm rude, it would be the people that work at the radio station the same time that I do. Because when I get here, which is usually like 10, 30, 11 o'clock, depending on if I have to record anything before, uh, from... 10, 30, 11 p.m. until 1.02 a.m. I am just trying to get all my work done for the show. And I'm like Joe DiMaggio, laser-like focus on the show. Now, um, and so it almost, if people come over and talk to me, even if it's for legitimate reasons, sometimes it can come across as if I'm rude or dismissive or standoffish. I'm not trying to be those things, but I am trying to send the message that, look, don't bother me. I'm busy. Now, hey, still not. <laughs> now, Matt Blaze gets it. You know, he knows, like, when I'm in the zone, don't bother me. Molly has even learned it. It's been it's been a journey for, for her. Some other people here, they don't get it as much as one person here. It doesn't matter what I'm doing or how busy that that, that I look. That person will talk to me. Doesn't matter. Uh, okay, I'm a little busy. I appreciate you want to talk, but I can't talk now. However, one of the people that I can tolerate better than almost anybody else that works here and the times that I'm here. And I don't mind his distractions because he always has something interesting to say, something interesting to add. And he's always brief is Alex Barnard, the recently promoted uh, associate producer of the Rita Cosby show, or is it senior producer? What is your title these days? It is associate producer. And thank you for that wonderful introduction, Frank. Well, you've worked on this show from time to time. It's always been, a real treat having you. And I gave you a, a shout out for giving me a far too generous Christmas gift of uh, two Davidoff cigars in addition to a baby gift that you gave uh, young Carmine. So I wow. appreciate your generosity a great deal. And as you can see, Curtis does there as well. <laughs> but 
You had um, an interesting experience over the weekend that you were telling me about before the show, and I asked you to stick around to share it with the listeners. We were just making small talk, but tell me, tell me, what did you do this weekend? So Saturday evening, I went with uh, a buddy of mine from high school who's also named Alex to a um, a comedy show at the Gramercy Theater downtown. One of my favorite comedians. Her name is Christina Pajitsky or Christina P, as she often likes to go by on stage. Um, and this particular uh, show was the filming for her new Netflix special. That's uh, probably coming out sometime later this year. Now, I'm not too familiar with her, but she's married to Tom Segura. Yes, yeah, she's Tom Segura's wife. Together, they host uh, the Your Mom's House podcast. It's a a fairly, um, I wouldn't say it's fairly famous. It's yeah. got a lot of listeners. So you're a yeah. fan of hers, huge fan. Say. Did huge. you have to pay to go to the show? I did. Yeah, and quite a bit. How much ballpark? Two tickets was uh, almost two hundred bucks. Oh, uh, each or together? Together. Together. Okay, so yeah. about a hundred bucks a ticket. Yeah, just sizable for a comedy show. That's pretty expensive, I think. Right, and a and a a sort of medium sized venue like the Gramercy Theater. So, um, you indicated before the show that you that she was pretty funny, but your experience was, if not ruined, it you didn't get to enjoy it as much as you'd hoped. Why? Because. Of course, this would only happen to me. You know, my best friend Alex and I sat in front of a guy who just would not stop talking the whole time. And they were really inane comments. So he sat behind you? No, no. He sat right in front of us. Okay. He sat in front of you guys. Yeah. Okay. The, the row directly in front of us. And he was just, I mean, first of all, she heard him at the beginning of the show because, you know, when she comes out on stage, everyone's applauding. And so. This guy shouts out, I like your boots, you know, and she I think this part's going to make it into the special because she says, oh, uh, you know, thank you. Wow. Isn't that so such a New York thing to just shout out something like I like your boots to the performer or whatever. So she was into it. She didn't view him as a heckler necessarily. Not at first, but I don't think he was loud enough for her to hear him throughout the rest of the show. How long is the show? It's about an hour. He's talking the whole time. Pretty much, yeah. It's as if he's watching TV, you know? And he's talking to his friend, or he's just talking to nobody? He's talking to nobody in particular. Yeah, he came alone. He was, he had had quite a bit to drink. And did his constant drumbeat of commentary hinder your ability to hear the show? Yeah, I mean, well, I was going to, of course, watch the special anyway when it came out, but, I mean, now I have to because I missed half the jokes. So you paid 100 bucks each, you and your friend, for this show that you couldn't hear because the guy in front of you was talking loudly. Yeah, I mean, Frank, I'll tell you, at one point, because we were sitting next to, uh, like, a young couple, and the um, the girlfriend had, was holding a drink in her hand, and I, I turned to her at one point and I said, I will give you all the money in my wallet if you, like, dump that on his head right now. And she kind of laughed and said, well, I, I need it to get through this. So. <laughs> uh, so at any point during this show, did you tap this fellow on the shoulder and say, you know, excuse me, pal, we're, we're all trying to watch this and we can't hear it because of your constant talking? I really wish I had. Because at halfway through, I would say, he actually left. Um, he didn't even stick around for the whole time. But, I mean, if he had, I would have said something. 
but thankfully there was a, a couple sort of sitting in front of us too that apparently were turning around constantly to be like, "Hey, man!" But it, apparently it had very little effect. The when they did the turn and maybe an eyebrow raise that didn't necessarily stifle him. Well, you know, they, you know, for some people, situational awareness, it's not the best. Huh? You well, know? So I, I wanted you to come on to tell this story because I'm curious. Everybody's been to a theater or a Broadway play, a movie, uh, a whatever, where somebody around them is being a little boisterous. And I'm curious if you can share with me an interesting experience where somebody's talking loudly or kicking your seat or doing something and I'm curious as to how you handled that. Now, Alex is a pretty mild-mannered guy. From what I can tell, Alex, you know, try, is, is sort of tries to get along with everybody, too. Last thing he wants to do is start an argument with some drunken idiot at a comedy show. Would you have handled this situation differently? Have you handled this situation differently? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. What do you do? If you're at a show, whatever the show is, a comedy show, a movie, a Broadway play, whatever, a Shakespeare in the park, and somebody sitting in front of you or behind you is speaking so loudly that they're being annoying, do you say something? Have you ever been in a position where you did say something and did that cause things to escalate or did it work? 800-848-WABC. What do you do if someone won't shut up when they're sitting in front of you? That's the question. A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. It happened to me um, at a Genesis concert at Giant Stadium. The people next to us would, were singing the entire time. And actually, I wouldn't say the entire time because we did. There was a whole bunch of people around that finally turned around and said, would you shut up? Because you couldn't hear Phil Collins. All we heard was this guy singing. Now, usually at a concert, though, I would think that the music is so loud that somebody singing next to you wouldn't hinder your enjoyment of the show at all. I think because we were it's giant stadium. I see. So we were not the greatest of seats. We were somewhere in the middle tier, I guess. And uh, halfway back, so you can hear the person singing. So did it work when they told Yeah, because to everybody turned around after like two or three songs and finally just told the guy to shut up. Interesting, interesting. 800-848-WABC if you want to comment. Five open lines. You know, or sometimes you might be you might be in a position where somebody's saying some things that are objectionable and you don't like that necessarily. 800-848-9222. My view is... It totally depends on the situation. And my heart went out to Alex here because Alex really is such a nice guy. He doesn't want to start an argument with anybody. He goes out of his way to get along with everybody. I could tell, you know, I think we've hung out maybe twice. And in our two social or three social interactions, he's just delightful. Gets along with everybody. And when you are telling a drunken idiot to be quiet, do you risk getting punched in the face? And who wants to risk getting punched in the face when you're just trying to be out and have a good time? I felt so sorry for him to that he spent $100 and his friend spent $100 and they didn't even get to hear this show of this comedian that they were uh, a fan of. I will say this. About 22 years ago, I was at a wrestling match at uh, Nassau Coliseum. And it, uh, I am was and, and am a big pro wrestling fan, although, you know, I don't follow it 
you know, too closely anymore. Um, but my favorite wrestler has always been Ric Flair. Okay. Uh, has always been my favorite wrestler, bar none. He, he's the greatest. And Ric Flair comes out and I start loudly cheering Ric Flair. Keep in mind, it's a wrestling match. This was, um, again, about 22 years ago. And I'm cheering him and, you know, loudly, loudly. The guy in front of me turns to me and says, you know, normally I wouldn't mind, but I have a little bit of a headache. I'd appreciate it if you kept it down. Now, I did keep it down because, you know, I don't want to start an argument with this guy. And he did ask politely for me to be quiet. But all I could think at the time was, I'm at a wrestling match. You know, you're supposed to be loud and boisterous at a wrestling match. And I'm unlike the situation with Alex, where he was trying to hear the material of the comedian that he was trying to see. I mean, you could still see the match with me loudly cheering for Ric Flair. So I thought that was an example of where I was on the receiving end of being shushed, but I thought it was completely unwarranted. But I still went along and got shushed. Tell me your experience. Have you ever done, has this ever happened to you? Have you ever shushed somebody? Have you ever spoken to somebody? What became of it? 800-848-9222. Al is in Manhattan. Hello, Al. Good morning, Mr. Adam. Great guest before. Great show as always. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I had like two little, two little stories real quick. Uh, Once I was at some comedy show and, uh, I wasn't really getting into it. This guy's good and sometimes not so good. But then he saw me and he said, uh, hey, I was here with my friend. He goes, where are you guys from? And I said, Palookaville. He goes, oh, a bunch of Westies, you know. And then right after that, it didn't work out so good, you know. Well, what uh, happened? Time, what uh, happened after that? He just kind of, you know, uh, he, he would code us once in a while as, you know, uh, you know, as a target. You know what I mean? But sure. no big deal. He's funny, but he's not, you know, ha-ha funny, you know. But anyway, another time I got uh, a challenge from a friend of mine. We were bored to tears, going to a concert, and uh, he bet me towards the end of the concert. He says, we were a little bit lit up. He goes, I'll bet you whatever, 20 bucks, you you don't hop on stage, blah, blah. So uh, I'm playing air guitar, and a really nice air guitar, I may add. And uh, I'm bouncing around the stage, and this guy, 70-year-old guy, is telling me to get off the stage. And I'm like, what? And uh, I said, come on, Chuck, you know I love you. <laughs> it was Chuck Berry. He's doing a little, <laughs> yeah, he's doing a duck walk. And I'm following him around, and a couple of girls, they're dancing and prancing, but I'm the only idiot guy up there. And I, I, I later on, I tried to get the AV department to see if I could get a, a clip you know, of that, but it didn't work out. But he was furious at me, sweating bullets and just outraged that I was following him. There's nothing to do. You'd have to hit me with the guitar, you know? What would you so do if you were that. what would you do if you were in the situation that uh, my colleague Alex was in, where you bought a ticket to a show for somebody you liked and you couldn't hear it because of some, you know, drunken clown in front of you. Uh, you know the problem is the tenor of the times is this. Go to a theater, half if you're sitting in the middle, I like to go seventh row, dead center. You know why? The screen catches both parts of your eyes. You're in the movie. But God forbid you end up in the back. Look what you see. I kid you not. People are at a movie that they pay $15 with $15 stale popcorn. Everyone's on their phones. Everybody's doing everything. You know what I mean? Conversating. Listen, listen, it's a movie. You're there. Enjoy it. 
But well, you know, and this was, was, and thank you, Al. And this was a hundred dollars for a live comedy show where, that he was really looking forward to. I felt terrible for him. But what what does he do, or what does anybody do the next time? What is the best way? You can't run to the principal and say, "Oh, you know, teacher, teacher, that guy's talking in class." What do you do? Is there a way that you found to be effective of getting somebody to be quiet? so that they can enjoy the show and you can enjoy the show. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Michael is in New Jersey. Hello, Michael. Hello, good evening. Yeah, I was just, um, you know, with regard to what do you do, um, I want to answer, answer it from the perspective of what I would have done two years ago prior to all this city tension, crime, animus, was um, most likely 90%, and I've done it before, you know, please, you know, quiet down, trying to watch a movie. But in this cowboy Wild West city, I'd refrain from probably saying anything with the exception of going. You said you can't complain to the principal. Well, there's management there, and they can tell someone to shut so that's what you would do. You would go and find like a, a security guard or something to tell the person to be yeah, quiet. I think so. Rather than have a fight, get killed. Yeah, I think I would be frightened that way. All right. Well, hey, it's as good a strategy as any. I don't know what I would do. I'll, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll never forget um, when I was about 13, I was at the movies with uh, with my dad and my father, uh, Carmine. And we, you know, we're sitting there before the movie starts. And there are some teenage, late teenage kids sitting behind us. I'm thinking they're 16, 17, maybe even 18 years old. And there's three or four of them. And I didn't see them. But there's like two girls, two guys. And I don't know if it was a double date or they were all just friends. But the tenor of that conversation behind us was very sexually charged, right? And they were saying they were saying all sorts of, you know, kind of crude sexual stuff. Now, I as a 13-year-old love this. I'm listening to every word. I'm listening to every syllable. You know what it's like, especially if you're a guy, uh, uh being 13 years old, your hormones are out of control. All you're you're looking for in life is some discussion of something sexual. You find a way to make a pillow sexual when you're 13 years old. So I am just listening to every single syllable. I'm practically taking notes on what the people behind me are saying. So my father, who even when he's at his friendliest, can come across as a little stern, a little stoic, a little um, taciturn. He turns around and my dad is six foot two and uh, he can be he's a very intimidating guy, even still. And he turns around to these people. Now, just to give you an idea of how intimidating my dad is, my mother, who he's now divorced from, used to work for my father. And I used to describe to her the look that my dad would give me when I would bring home my report card, which was almost always disappointing in some area. And um, I would try to describe this look to my mom. And my mom used to work for my dad. And uh, she said, I know that look. We would call it when we'd all work for your father. We'd all call that the look of death. 
And that is the most apt description that there is for it. It is the look of death. He has a way of looking at you. He doesn't have to say anything. He just has a way of looking at you that makes you feel about six inches tall. So he gives these people behind me, and I'm just staring straight ahead. He gives these people behind me the look of death, and he says, excuse me, you're going to have to um, change your conversation around my son because he's only 13. I was, one, I was disappointed because I wanted to hear the rest of what they were saying. But two, I was so incredibly embarrassed. But I guess as now a father, I would probably do the same thing. Um, I mean, 13's a little old. I mean, you kind of know about the birds and the bees already by 13. But certainly if it was a, a seven or eight-year-old, a nine-year-old child, and people are loudly having adult conversations around a child, I would certainly, I think, behave the same way that my dad did and, and say something. Other times, I'm just not bothered by by stuff. I just don't care. I was in a movie one time. I was on a date with a woman, and we were seeing a movie it was nominated for uh, in some category. So it was not a movie that I'd usually see. I don't remember what it was, but it was like a family-oriented movie. And um, I'm on this date, and we're sitting towards the front of a crowded theater. The theater was super packed. This is way before the days of social distancing. And there's this family, and there's like kids there. I mean, they're 9, 10. I, I couldn't tell because I didn't turn around. But they're behind us, and they kept talking throughout the movie and this so upset my date. She was very upset. And I, you know, I turned around. I gave the look um, to the, to the, I guess, the mother. And, you know, you could tell, like, the mom was just looking for a way to keep these kids occupied for a couple hours. So I didn't really care. But I, try, I wanted to look to this girl like I was making an effort to stifle their conversation. So then, whatever, they keep talking. They may have even kicked... Her seat once or twice. Forget about it. She flew. In, this was not the most mentally balanced person I've ever dated. She flew into a rage. And I said, I said, Rena, let's go. Let's leave. Who cares? So we leave. And she was outraged. She says, we're getting your money back. I said, I don't care about my money back. Just just let's go. Uh, we'll, we'll go for lunch or something. No, 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 no. It's so important. They have to learn. Uh, we're getting your money back. So I we she insisted that they give us our money back, and they did at, at this theater. But I didn't care about it. She was off the charts angry about this situation. 800-848-WABC. What do you do if somebody is loudly talking in a movie? Sometimes I don't mind if you can still make out what they're saying or a play or, as in the case of Alex, a comedian that he really wanted to see. 800-848-9222. Has it happened to you? Larry is in Beth Page. Hello. So this was totally out of character for somebody like me. This was literally 31 years ago. Um, I went to see, with a date, a Broadway show, but it wasn't a drama. It wasn't a musical. It was Penn and Teller on Broadway. Magic Act. So... I'm sitting, my date's to my right, to my left is a guy and a woman to his left. The show starts and immediately, not in a whisper to her, he is now explaining how all the magic act is done. Oh, that's the worst. And I looked at him. I almost, like, I turned, not 
not to his side, but almost to his face. And I'm just looking at him. And finally, after a couple of minutes, I said to him, you're ruining the show for me. It's very impressive that you know how all this is done, but I don't know how they do it. And you're ruining it for me. He looked at me. He was a big guy. I was a lot smaller than him. I have never been this feeling like I was violated ever in my life in in a social situation. Long story short, I finally, after about 10 minutes, I whispered to him, if I hear you describe the show, what they're doing, and you ruin it for me anymore, we were were in the mezzanine, first row. I said, I'm going to throw you right over the mezzanine. This was totally out of character for me. I've never before that and never after acted like a tough guy. He looked at me and he knew I wasn't happy and he just kind of curled up in his seat and he didn't open his mouth again that entire evening. Now let's say somebody ought to belt you in the mouth. Let's say he kept on going. Do you think he would have actually gone uh, gotten a little carried away? Uh I hope not. I don't know, but I've never been that angry. You know, you're paying you're paying good money for something, even though we did get the tickets at the uh, TKS booth. But still, I mean, it, it was a Broadway show. And, and and this guy knowingly, it's like he's got to show off to whoever. Is yeah, yeah. I, I hate that. I hate that. That's so Elliot Spitzerish. Honestly, it, it's it, I hate that. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. I do think something like a, a sporting event or a wrestling match is a little different than a magic show or a comedian or even a motion picture. 800-848-WABC. We'll take your calls in just a minute. We'll go through your best and worst mail. If you want to send me some email, you can do so at frank.moreno at wabcradio.com. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. This is a terrific song by the police uh, before they were defunded by the likes of uh, City Councilman Brad Lander, now Controller Brad Lander. Uh, So we're talking about what to do if somebody's being disruptive at a show you're seeing, whether it's a live show, whether it's a movie. Somebody's behaving in a manner that ruins your enjoyment of the show. What do you do how do you handle it? How have you handled it? What would you do? 800-848-9222. Molly is out sick today, but uh, we have uh, Philip, who did a fine job as our telephone talent coordinator. These days, he's big time now. He's working with Rita Cosby and Dominic Carter. He has uh, been kind enough to stick around w- with us for a few hours this morning. You had an interesting situation in this vein. What happened? Yeah, it's it's pretty similar to what you're talking about with the movies. It was taken back a couple months ago the first time i've gone to the movie since the pandemic and everything closed down and my girlfriend wanted to go on uh to go see a quiet place part two i wasn't interested in i wanted to see real cinema like the tom and jerry live action film (laughs) (laughs) she wasn't interested in that so i was forced to go to a quiet place part two and mind you had you had you seen quiet place part one i had i had to watch it the day before oh it was pretty good i thought it was pretty good i didn't see the sequel yet it's 
nothing. You didn't no, like it. It's nothing okay. great. It's Not unnecessary. Okay. Regardless, I saw a quiet place, and it's in, in you know in the title it says a quiet place. It's, right. So the the, <laughs> the the silence in the movie matters. That, that that matters a lot. So I got in there. It was a nice cinema too. It was one of the ones that have like the reclining seats and the, it had seat warmers and everything. So I was enjoying. It. I was like, this is cool. I sat down about five minutes later, the, and it, like a chorus of just children came in, like 12, 14-year-olds. Yeah, those guys. They came in there and all sat down in the entire row behind me. And immediately I was like, oh, like this is, you know, is going to be an issue. And five minutes of the movie, they did just talk nonstop. The movie's trying to be tense. It's trying to be quiet. And they're commenting. They're laughing, all this stuff. And like you know, immediately I was like, oh yeah, I remembered why I haven't gone to the movies in forever. Not just a pandemic. Like this sucks. It's you know, people always just get in your way and all that stuff. After a while, my girlfriend kept nudging me. She's like, this is annoying. This is annoying. And I was like, what do you want me to do about it? Yeah, especially with thirteen-year-olds. What are you yeah. supposed to do? Well, you know, at some point I got fed up. It wasn't just my girlfriend. I was. I just turned around. I was like, hey, do you guys mind shutting up? And that's all I said. And immediately, with like swift response, one of them said, ooh, someone's mad, and they all started laughing. I never felt more demoralized as a man. Well, that's what that happens. Moment. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and they didn't stop. Uh, you know what? They actually it, it calmed down, definitely. Afterwards, they kind of got the message. It was actually kind of cool. I felt like Batman for a moment. Afterwards, people were like, at, like, they walked up to me like, thank you for that. Thank you. It was nice to have someone. You oh, know, you was, were the hero of the theater. Oh, yeah, apparently. I, mean, I didn't feel like it, but it was cool for the moment. You were like George on Seinfeld. <laughs> hey, baby, how about a little tongue action, huh? <laughs> yeah, stick your tongue down his throat. <laughs> what are we going to do? Should we just move? It won't be necessary. <laughs> Shut your trunks and stop kicking the seats! We're trying to watch the movie! And if I have to tell you again, we're going to take it outside and I'm going to show you what it's like! You understand me? <laughs> Now shut your mouths or I'll shut them for you. And if you think I'm kidding, just try me. Try me. Because I would love it. <laughs> that is one of my favorite Seinfeld episodes. That's where George does the opposite of whatever his natural inclination is supposed to do. 800-848-WABC. That's 800 848 Two, two. Let me say hello to Nikki in the Bronx. Hello, Nikki. How you doing, Frank? Uh, I was in New Orleans. This is about 25 years ago. There's a place down here called Preservation Hall. And what this is is a traditional jazz place. These are Dixieland players. And some of these cats, they, they were in the 70s and 80s. I mean, these were, uh, you know, people who grew up with original jazz when it first started. Cool. And it was such a, a wonderful experience. So I'm sitting there. And and I'm I'm toward the back in the hall, and behind me are standing three uh, early twenties kind of people. They were foreigners, uh, and I'm watching. You know, I'm listening, watching the music, and they're chatting away and chatting away and gabbing and gabbing and gabbing. And I'm looking at the people next to me as if to say, "Oh, I wonder, if, you know, these people going to stop?" Well, they never stopped. Well, at one point, I just turned around and I said, "Listen, if you don't respect American tradition," You shouldn't be here. Ooh. Stop talking or go stand in the hall. And they, they were Scandinavians. I couldn't tell Norwegian, Swedish. I, I don't know. Danish could have been. I have no idea. But they were just so disrespectful. Well, they looked at me like I was, you know, a madman. And they slowly worked their way out into the hall. And the people next to me 
<laughs> on each side, they all smiled and, and, you know, the one said thank you. And But, I mean, it was disgusting. I mean, like I said, that 25 years ago, some of these guys were in their 70s, late 70s, and they were still playing jazz. And, and it was such an experience because these are guys that heard jazz when it started. Sure. No, it's know? a big deal. And, and, it's a big deal. Good oh, for you. man. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but that, I, I think that's probably the only time I ever did that, but I couldn't stand it. It just was driving me nuts. Well, that's you know? the thing, Nikki, yeah. and thanks for the call. Everybody gets pushed to their breaking point. There comes a point where, as you heard from Philippe a minute ago, they get to a point where you just can't take anymore. you got to do something, and you hope you respond rationally, but even more than responding rationally, you want to respond in a manner that's effective. Uh, what do you do? To get somebody to stop. So one person said, you go to management, have management quiet them down. You could use the method of the Larry and Beth Page method, threatening to throw them off the balcony. You could do what Alex did, not do anything. Um, 800-848-WABC. Anthony's in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello. Yeah, how you doing, Frank? Um, it happened to me one time. I was with my girlfriend at a movie. I think it was a, like one of the early Spider-Man movies. And this guy was sitting like a row or two behind us, and he kept yelling out things like, that's not how the comic book goes. She don't look like Mary Jane. He don't look like Harry Osborne. You know, shit like that. Well, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Stuff like that. So everyone was like, shh, 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 you know, trying to shush him. And I turned around. I says, listen, we're trying to, want, you know, you want... You want to keep it down? Right? And I turn back around, and he's still talking. And my girlfriend, who has less patience than I do, started nudging me. She's like, do something. Right? So I got up, because once he bothers her, then she's going to bother me all night. Right, right. You know? Right. It's always the women up. that are always... shut the F up? And he's... Everyone's... And he just shut up, and everyone started clapping. And the guy got, like, all crazy and out of it and he got up and left <laughs> oh he left the theater entirely yeah he walked out so he it worked you're, you're... everyone was clapping and like yeah yeah shut up yeah well, yeah that yeah. Was, that's exactly what happened with george costanza in that seinfeld episode 800-848-9222 joe is in ronkonkoma hello joe hey frank great show like usual how Thank was you. your uh, trip out to long island it was great. I, I, I beeped when we passed Center Reach, and uh, hopefully hopefully everybody heard me. I think I did. Uh, what do you call it? Um, listening to this, you actually stole uh, that title episode. was always my favorite when George got up and screamed. Um, me and my wife were on our first date, and we're in um, the Ronkakuma Theater. And, you know, you're on your first date, you're trying to be on good behavior, and there was these two guys behind us. They were like saying lines verbatim in the movie and throwing popcorn at people. So I'm sitting there trying to be on good behavior because it's the first day with my wife, you know, and I want to make sure it was going right. She's sitting there. Movie ends, we get up, we're walking out, and she turns to me and says to me, oh, those two behind us, I wanted to turn around and hit them. So I was like, I'm thinking the same thing. So she goes to the bathroom. I see them in the hallway waiting. And they're sitting there, they're eating the popcorn. As she went in, I walked over to one of them, and I grabbed their bucket of popcorn, and I dumped it in the garbage. And the guy said, what was that for? And I said, you're lucky that's all you got. And I walked away. And it worked? Did they shut up for the rest of the time? Well, the movie was over. So oh, oh well, I got it. It was at the end. Okay. All right. Well, that's one one, good night, man. Uh, one strategy. Thank you, Joe. 800-848-WABCK is in the Bronx, too. Hello, Kay. 
Hey, Frank. Yes, yes. Um, one time I was on a, a flight to Scotland with a friend of mine. And, you know, that's like a seven-hour flight. And she got into this conversation. You know, she was on my left, and there was this gentleman who was half. His mother lived in Scotland. His father lived in the States. And he got into conversation with her, and I'm in the middle. And I have this headache, and they're yakking away and yakking away. And I must have turned around, you know, to my friend and to the um, the guy to the right of me and asked them maybe about nine or ten times to please be quiet. I have a headache, and it's getting worse, and I can't take all this yakety, yakety, yak in my ear. And an hour and a half later, the guy starts again, you know, talking again and again. They Every time I complain, they quiet for a little bit. And then he starts to, almost all the time, he starts the conversation with my, with my friend Debbie. And after about an hour and a half, I had this, it was almost like a splitting migraine. And I started to get sick to my stomach. And I told him, and he kept yakking. And I told him, I said, listen, I said, now I'm getting sick to my stomach. I said, if I vomit, I'm vomiting all over. Oh. And I warned you. So you got it coming if you push me to that point. So what happened? He stopped talking. He stopped. I bet he did, Kay. Now, Kay, why wouldn't you have, uh, when they're chatting on and on and on, why wouldn't you have said to either Debbie or the Scottish guy that why don't we switch seats so that you guys can more easily uh, have the conversation? I didn't feel like it. Well, okay. I wanted them to respect what I had to say. And show consideration. Good for, for you. I'm glad it worked, Kay. 800-848-WABC. We're going to go through your mail in just a minute. You want to send me some email, you can do so at frank.morano at wabcradio.com. I got one piece of email here. Subject, concert jerk. I was the, not me, but the person saying this email. I was the concert jerk singing along uh, when my friend turns to me and says something like, there's six members of the band, not seven. God. Lesson learned, he said. Now, I think it's different if it's somebody in your own party or somebody that you're going to the concert with that tells you to shut up because it's somebody you know. A confrontation with a stranger is a totally different thing psychologically and in every other respect because as other people pointed out, you don't know if this person's drunk or a lunatic or what the case may be. So you just never know. 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Frank on Long Island. Hello, Frank. How are you? I I am as dandy as cotton candy. (laughs) Good to hear. I I listen to your show a lot because I work late, so I get home late at night. Oh, that's it. What uh, What field do you work in professionally, Frank? Well, now I do private security. I, I'm a retired law enforcement officer. Okay. Well, thank you for your service. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, you're talking about theaters, but back in the 90s, I was uh, I worked in uh, the police department, the New York City Police Department, and I was doing security in a movie theater. That we had, I was hired to uh, just make sure there was no pandemonium or anything. One particular weekend, we had uh, a popular movie that was supposed to come out, but some something happened. The movie didn't. You know, they didn't get the film. So the theater was kind of quiet. I had my brother there working also, and he was also a police officer. And it was quiet, so I decided to call my girlfriend. I said, listen, come on down. I can get you in the theater and we can, while we watch a movie. So we go in the theater, and we go we sit down. There was a lot of kids. It was an urban area, and it was crazy. There was kids in there. They were running around, throwing popcorn the whole night. So we decided, I said, listen, probably when the movie starts, they'll calm down and they'll watch the movie. 
We sit down, the movie starts, it got worse. They're screaming at the kids in front of them and like seven hours ahead of them. They all knew each other. So finally I turned around, I said to the guys behind me, I said, listen, why don't you guys just shut the hell up so we can watch this movie? Oh, my God, that started a firestorm. They wanted to beat us up, man, me and my girl. So I, I tell her, let's get up. We got up, we ran down the aisle, went down the aisle in the center of the theater, go to the doors. As I turn around, I see the whole theater's coming after us. So we locked the doors and we put the latches on. Here oh, my. my <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Here comes my brother coming down the hallway. He goes, what the hell's going on? I go, dude, call 911. So he calls 911. Thank God there was two Nassau police cars sitting out front. They come walking in. And we finally opened the latches to the door, and here are these, all these kids running out, but they were surprised that there was two uniformed police officers there. And I think they surmised that we were cops because, you know, the way we were standing there with them and talking. So finally they calmed down. But they, they, they were throwing – they started to throw stuff at, even at the cops and us while they were walking out. You know, like Jeez. Well, I, I mean, it goes like to that. show you, like that, you know, like you say in Anchorman, that has escalated – Quickly. I mean, wow, Frank, that's something. See, that's the thing. When you t- tell a stranger to shut up, especially if it's like like a bunch of them, you don't know what's going to happen. That's wild. These two cops, they were going to beat up these this, this gang of hecklers. was going to beat up these two cops, or at least try to. Wow. Hey, we're going to go through the mail next. Uh, 800-848-WABC. Al in Rockland County has been patiently holding since we were talking with Roger Stone. So I want to say hello to Al. Hello, Al. How are you doing? I wanted to say that it was a refreshing, uh, a very enjoyable opportunity to hear Mr. Stone, because when you listen to him, you can hear this tremendous history and the policy and politics of government that he knows, as well as the down and dirty side of it. And it's it's just so uh, not just entertaining, but so insightful as to what goes on. And what I thought about was there was a famous philosopher by the name of Wittgenstein. And in his first book, the last chapter is only one sentence long. And it says, of that of which I do not know, I shall not speak. And what that really means is, if you don't know something about something, shut up. And my grandfather used to have a corollary to that. And he used to say, the fastest way to let everyone know what an idiot you are is to open up your mouth. And I've been listening to a lot of these stories that you've been talking about and all these clowns who talk in the movie theaters and so forth. They illustrate. People just can't keep their mouths shut. They usually wind up just illustrating for, for everyone around them, the entire community, their town, that they're a complete idiot. And so I've actually enjoyed listening to your stories. But I used to be uh, – I had to work security over at Cornell when I was a student there years ago, and I used to have to break up some of these events that you're talking about. And the one thing I learned more than anything else is don't worry about how reasonable you are. Worry about how reasonable the other guy is. And you always have to be ready to uh, be very defensive uh, because it can turn on a dime. So I would advise most people, don't get worked up about things. If you can't take it, walk away, uh, because that's a lot cheaper than winding up in a hospital. Well, and first of all, thank you for the compliment on the uh, Roger Stone interview. Uh, but what would you do, let's say, as a security person, if somebody was behaving in an unreasonable manner and you could tell they were a few aces short of a full deck? What would you do? 
Well, ironically, uh, sometimes that would happen. I, I was at Cornell Med at the time, and uh, so you'd have not, not just students, but sometimes actually uh, medical residency, even sometimes a faculty member who would go to like one of the Christmas parties and get hammered. And so you would be dealing with not just somebody who was, you know, uh, having problems dealing with their own emotions or whatever, uh, because sometimes at these Christmas shows that they'd have at Cornell, they would launch, it would be like a skit. They would have these skits against sometimes faculty members, and some of these faculty members would get pretty upset. So now you're dealing with not just an average schnook on the street, not some homeless guy or whatever, which is scary enough as is, but somebody who has a tremendous amount of power and influence. And if things go wrong, it's going to be bad for everyone, but especially for you. There's no winning mm. in a situation like that. So the most important thing is not to be too belligerent. You have to always keep yourself relatively calm and uh, try try to smile, but not like laugh, you know, just be, you know, like saying, yeah, I understand, you know, and, and be very, very sympathetic. Try to find out what's really bugging them and just try to diffuse the situation all the time. Don't object to what they're doing because that is the, the easiest way for them to just snap and say, who are you to tell me? And that's how things can go sideways. Al, thank you very much. A great call. Uh, we're going to take a break and then do the, go through the mail in just a minute. Uh, 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on this or anything else we've covered thus far. No guests for the remainder of the show, so it's just you and me. Plenty of opportunity for us to talk. You can reach me via email, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. You can reach me on Facebook at facebook.com slash moranofan or on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. This is The Other Side of Midnight. The mail, straight ahead. Can you believe what that guy said? The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno, and while I do enjoy telephone calls as a method of communication, sometimes there's nothing that beats the written word. That's why every Tuesday morning around this time, we go through... Our first piece of correspondence comes to us from the world of Instagram, where Matt McCool writes, Roger Stone is your best guest you have on show. Thank you, Matt McCool. Uh, Moving over to the world of Facebook, Rob Price writes, 
You mentioned Phil Hendry last week. I think he'd be a great guest. Rob from Indianapolis. You know, that's a great idea, Rob. I will see if I can reach out to him and see if he's willing to come on the show. It's a great idea. I'd love to talk with him. I've never met Phil Hendry. I don't know Phil Hendry. Uh, I'm a fan of his work for a long time, but I've never met him. I will reach out to him. Uh, Jeff Diaz via email. Uh, and you can email me, as always, at frank.moreno at wabcradio.com. He writes, subject, noisy tables. A loud and or laughing table next to you at an upscale restaurant is the worst. That can be. Sometimes I like the noisy table if it depends on what we're saying now my wife and I went out to dinner for the first time on Friday and the table next to us was having a whole conversation about Atlantic City so I actually wanted them to be a little louder so I could hear more of what they were saying but then my wife and I got into a little bit of a minor minor argument I thought it was minor she may disagree and I was hopeful that they weren't listening to what we're saying so the restaurant conversations can be tough this is uh, an email to us from Herb hi Frank subjects don't you know who I am Hi, Frank. Mr. Insomnia paid me a visit this morning, so I heard this entertaining segment. Perhaps the best example of this behavior involved John Lennon, who was on his hall pass from Yoko in 1974 and living very large in L.A. A very drunk Lennon and cronies like Harry Nilsson and a soon-to-be-dead, literally, Keith Moon, drummer from The Who, were part of a rowdy crew at a club in L.A. Lennon had a Kotex taped to his forehead, and his group was harassing the Smothers Brothers. The waitress tried to rein them in. Lennon, perhaps one of the five most recognizable faces in the world, asked the waitress if she knew who he was. Her response, yeah, some a-hole with a Kotex on your forehead. Stay well. That is funny. I had never heard that story. That is very, very funny. This comes to us from Christopher. 20 years ago, I used to deliver trailer loads of juice to a warehouse in New Jersey. It was a union warehouse. When you were unloading your truck, if a buzzer went off, everyone had to leave the dock while they were on break. One week, I was on vacation, and my boss's son covered for me. When I came back, I get to that warehouse, and all the workers surrounded me. At this point, I thought I was going to get my butt kicked, and I didn't know why. All of a sudden, one of them says... Who was that guy that was covering for you? So I say it was my boss's son. They then told me that he was unloading his truck and the buzzer went off and he wanted to finish unloading his truck. But they said no one's allowed on the dock during the break. Then he said, do you know who I am? And the foreman said, I don't care if you're the king of England. You have to go. We had a real laugh and I was happy not to get beat up. L-O-L. Uh, this is in response to my email with uh, the uh, cryptozoologist yesterday. It's come to us from Joan. Waited up to hear your Bigfoot report and was very disappointed in the relative naysayer you had on as an expert. Because he wrote a book doesn't impress. Why not research and have on some of the scientists and investigators featured on Travel Channel series or other films recently aired? There are numerous scientists featured from universities all over the country in these films showing evidence that has been found, hundreds and hundreds of testimonies, etc. Granted, it's a mystery, but I think that you might consider airing some more definitive and positive information. You know, I'd say I can't win for losing. I try to do um, critical interviews with everybody. The guy, first of all, that guy, Ken Berhard, was on, Gerhard, was on the Travel Channel Bigfoot show. He's been on every big sh- Bigfoot show. He is one of the go-to Bigfoot experts in the world. He hasn't written one book. He's written six. And he made that same point about talking to people with, um, you know, that have all said the same thing, seeing the eyewitness accounts of Bigfoot. 
Marie, Mary writes, hi, Frank. I just happened to stumble upon your roundtable this morning. This was written Sunday. I know you mentioned once on your show that you were on that particular morning. Can I assume you are on every Sunday? I don't know how you keep up with all your responsibilities. You're an asset to any show. And to have chosen to be on the Cats Roundtable proves that I'm right. Keep up the good work that you're doing. That's very nice. Thank you. I appreciate that. I am on the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning from 8 to 8.30. Lou Samsel writes, a subject, your show. It's not very good, but the alternative Coast to Coast AM for weirdos is worse. I would like to see you do the following. Eliminate all music. There are 30 or so music stations. Who needs more music? Stop talking about your family. Get rid of the paranormal junk. That's what Coast to Coast is for. One program for idiots is enough. Well, Lou, I'm going to do my best to provide at least a second show. Wow. For idiots as well. Michael writes on sound effects is the subject. Enjoy the show, but the sound effect of the baby crying is not funny. It's annoying and makes me change the channel to WFAN. It's like being stuck on a plane with a crying baby. Taking the baby to Hawaii would be insane. There you have it. And uh, let me squeeze in. I can squeeze in at least one more here. Robert writes, hi, Frank. Love your show. You have a gift for talk radio. Thank you. I heard part of your discussion about what happened to Jet Set Juliet, but I still don't really get why she's no longer on ABC. I thought she was great and really miss her. I thought the two of you were perfect together. If a fan's opinions count, I would encourage the station to bring her back. I would love to send her an email if you could give me her an, uh, give me an address, but if not, appreciate you letting her know how good I thought she was. Thank you and keep the show. Keep up the good work. Keep the show just the same. It's the best talk radio show I've heard, even better than Bob Grant, to whom I used to listen. As good as he was... I like your less angry, vitriolic tone, and you interview an interesting variety of guests. I'm a moderate liberal, and despite your support of Trump, which I have trouble understanding, I find your opinion on most matters right on the money. Best regards, Rob. I explained on the Juliet front that, you know, she had an amicable split, you know, from the radio station. She and the station are on very good terms, and who knows? Maybe she will come back. One day, I have a couple more letters uh, that uh, that I do want to highlight. I'll do them. Uh, we'll do a round two of these next hour because we have uh, Bob Brown waiting in the wings to do the top of the hour news. But we'll do some more of these next hour. Those of you that have phone calls, we'll get to those as well. 800-848-9222. And um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. made some very controversial remarks over the weekend. I will play them for you at the vaccine mandate, anti-vaccine mandate rally in Washington. We'll tell you what he said and why some people are upset. This is the other side of midnight. Until next hour, in the words of the great Barry Farber, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Been running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Morano. 
If you missed my discussion with Roger Stone uh, in the first hour, I do hope you will listen to the podcast. There are a couple of different ways to do that. You can just go to WABCRadio.com and click on Frank Morano Podcast. And those are the podcasts of our individual interviews. So you don't have to listen to the whole show. Just listen to any individual interviews and highlights that you might have missed. You should also, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to my podcast, whether you have Stitcher, Spotify, CastBox, Google Podcasts, iTunes, whatever the case may be, search The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hit the subscribe button. You'll get the show downloaded to your phone each and every day. And if you want to do us a favor, leave us a nice positive review. But one of the subjects that Roger brought up, by the way, I thought that was a great interview, whether you like Roger or don't. If that interview doesn't make news, then I just give up. I mean, he commented and had so much to say on so many different areas. But uh, one of the things that he was talking about was his comments about the vaccine. He is a, I think it's safe to call Roger anti-vax, right? The leading anti-vaxxer in the country is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I think that's safe to say, right? Uh, I'm pro-vaccine, but I'm also, even more than being pro-vaccine, I am pro-free speech. I had Robert Kennedy on this show. I had the publisher of Robert Kennedy Jr.'s book on for an hour to talk about, you know, all sorts of things. Vaccines, free speech, and the like. Yesterday, I had two strongly, actually three if you include Curtis, three strongly anti-vaccine mandate people in for an hour. And we had a wide-ranging discussion on the vaccines. Well, Sunday, Robert Kennedy Jr. made some remarks at this rally, and it has ignited quite a firestorm. This is from the Associated Press. Anti-vaccine activist Robert F. Kennedy Jr. made, quote, deeply offensive comments when he suggested things are worse for people today than they were for Anne Frank the teenager who died in a Nazi concentration camp after hiding with her family in a secret annex in an Amsterdam house for two years. That is the word from the Anti-Defamation League and the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum. They put out statements on Monday. Quote, Making reckless comparisons to the Holocaust, the murder of six million Jews for a political agenda is outrageous and deeply offensive. Those who carelessly invoke Anne Frank, the Star Badge and the Nuremberg trials to exploit history and the consequences of hate. That's the word from the museum, the uh, Holocaust Memorial Museum. They put out a statement and posted it to Twitter. I must say, I, I have been quite puzzled at all of the anti-vax mandate and all of the anti-vax people that consistently invoke either the Nazis or the Holocaust. To me, what the Nazis did was just so bad that there's almost nothing in history that compares with that. And uh, for people that disagree with the vaccine mandate to constantly be invoking the Nazis, look, I'm not Jewish, but my son is part Jewish. And I could I just I do not understand it. To me, it is such a trivialization of what happened in the Holocaust. So what I want to do is I want to play for you exactly what Robert F. Kennedy Jr. said. And then I want to invite you to comment as to whether or not you found his remarks accurate, inaccurate 
offensive, inoffensive. So you could say he he's dead on. He's absolutely right. You could say, no, he's absolutely wrong. But look, there's no sense being offended by it. I don't find it offensive. Or you could say he's wrong and it's offensive. This is what Robert F. Kennedy Jr. said on Sunday in Washington. What we're seeing today is what I call turnkey totalitarianism. They are putting in place all of these technological mechanisms for control we've never seen before. It's been the ambition of every totalitarian state from the beginning of mankind to control every aspect of behavior, of conduct, of thought, and to obliterate dissent. None of them have been able to do it. They didn't have the technological capacity. Even in Hitler, Germany, you could, you could cross the Alps into Switzerland. You can hide in an attic like Anne Frank did. I visited in 1962 East Germany with my father and met people who had climbed the wall and escaped. So it was possible. Many died truly, but it was possible. Now, I heard that, and look, I get what he's trying to say, but I do find it a little offensive, a little. And I also find it incredibly inaccurate. Like, when he says in Nazi Germany you could hide in an attic like Anne Frank did, well, Anne Frank died. They caught her. So it was not as if Anne Frank was successful in evading murder by the Nazis. Because the way Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and I'm going to ask Matt to play it again, the way Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is describing this, it's almost like he's saying, oh, well, look, the Nazis were bad, but you had options. You could flee to Switzerland or you can hide in an attic. These days with the vaccine, you don't have an option. And Anne Frank didn't have an option either. They found her and they killed her. So his saying, you could hide in an attic like Anne Frank did. Well, it didn't work out too well for Anne Frank. Spokesperson for the Holocaust Museum made that statement I read to you a minute ago in response to those remarks and other incidents of people invoking the Holocaust for political purposes. The the museum also pointed out that Anne Frank was one of the 1.5 million children who died during the Holocaust. Jonathan Greenblatt, CEO of the Anti-Defamation League, wrote on Twitter that Kennedy invoking Anne Frank's memory and the mass murder of Jews by the Nazis to make a comparison with the U.S. government, quote, working to ensure the health of its citizens is deeply inaccurate, deeply offensive and deeply troubling. This must stop. Do you agree? Is this A, deeply inaccurate? Is it B, deeply offensive? And is it C, deeply troubling? Again, let me play for you what Mr. Kennedy said. What we're seeing today is what I call turnkey totalitarianism. They are putting in place all of these technological mechanisms for control. We've never seen before. It's been the ambition of every totalitarian state from the beginning of mankind to control every aspect of behavior, of conduct, of thought, and to obliterate dissent. None of them have been able to do it. They didn't have the technological capacity. Even in Hitler, Germany, you could, you could cross the Alps into Switzerland. You can hide in an attic like Anne Frank did. 
I visited in 1962 East Germany with my father and met people who had climbed the wall and escaped. So it was possible. Many died truly, but it was possible. He then said that uh, the nation's leading infectious disease doctor, Anthony Fauci, was orchestrating fascism. 800-848-WABC. Dara in Saratoga, what do you think? Hi, Frank. So, first of all, I, I find it ironic that Kennedy, who's in his own guessing for breath, is talking about being an anti-vaxxer. It was just ironic to me. I know his condition is neurologically based, but it it just was the sound of it was weird. The other thing is that it's it's well documented that the Nazis were extremely pro-vax. All the Nazis were vaccinated. In fact, they denied their captives vaccines so that they would perish. So that on its face right there was was um, an academic untruth. And I think Kennedy is doing him and his family legacy a great disservice. I actually I'm against mandates as well, even though getting covid would make me die. Um, but I just think the ignorance of people and their lack of of of, of love of humanity is sad that we have to have or even suggest mandates. So thank you. Thank you, Dara. 800-848-WABC if you want to comment. 800-848-9222. An Associated Press investigation published last month detailed how Kennedy has invoked the specter of Nazis and the Holocaust in his work to sow doubts about vaccines and agitate against public health efforts to bring the pandemic under control, such as requiring masks or vaccine mandates. In a speech to the Ron Paul Institute in October, for example, Kennedy referenced Nazis multiple times, obliquely comparing public health measures put in place by governments around the world to Nazi propaganda meant to scare people into abandoning critical thinking. Last month, he put out a video that showed a picture of Fauci with a Hitler mustache. I really think that's too far. I really do. Say what you want about Anthony Fauci. He's not Hitler. Kennedy apologized in 2015 after he used the word Holocaust to describe children whom he believed he believed were hurt by vaccines. He said at the time that he, quote, employed the term during an impromptu speech. But he's keep, he keeps using it. And a lot of people are upset about it. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. John is in Brooklyn. Hello, John. Frank. Oh, boy. I can't believe Kennedy really outdid himself. I want the audience to know that Kennedy is an acolyte of one Andrew Wakefield, a disgraced British doc who is seen as the Pied Piper of anti-vaccination. Over 10 years ago, the UK medical license revoked, uh, licensing board, excuse me, revoked his medical license. And uh, since then, he has not been able to practice medicine. He preaches, both he and Kennedy preach vaccine safety, but it's other nonsense. Incidentally, uh, Wakefield is now living in Austin, Texas, and has become a documentary filmmaker to advocate his anti-vax views. And Kennedy is fully in lockstep with him. Well, thank you, John. 800-848-WABC. Comment as you see fit. That's 800-848-9222. Neil is on Staten Island. Neil, give me your take on this. Uh, I'll tell you the truth, Frank. I don't listen to Kennedy. I think he's a crackpot. Uh, His words, to me, have as much meaning as listening to Whoopi Goldberg or Joy Joy Behar. I I just, 
I just tune them out. Well, as somebody that's Jewish, do you find those remarks offensive? It's coming from a crackpot. It doesn't bother I see. Me. It'd be like if, uh, in your view, you're saying it would be like if uh, a, a mentally disturbed person on the street started making Holocaust analogies. You wouldn't take it too too seriously. Uh, you know, Frank, I, I hear it all the time. I mean, it, it's a constant thing with uh, with anti-Semitism. I, I just try to tune it out. If I'm going to get upset about that, i got more better things to be upset about. Uh, but I, I did want to give you a piece of uh, presidential trivia, if I might. Sure. Uh, in uh, 1915, Woodrow Wilson got married for the second time to Edith Bowling Galt. Who catered his wedding, Frank? <laughs> Who catered his wedding? I, I, I have no idea, honestly. It was Chef Boyardee. Is that true? Yeah. That, is, that is really interesting, and I appreciate you sharing that, Neil. Uh, Chef Boyardee was a pretty interesting guy. And his niece, Anna Boyardee, and she spells her name a little bit different, she has a pretty interesting story, and she's really looked into her whole family history. I've been trying to get her on the show because she's an interesting person and a pretty good cook in her own right. I'm going to reach out to her again because she is really, really something. Bob is in New Brunswick. Hello, Bob. Okay. Listen, um, I know everybody's uh, looking at Robert Kennedy one way or the other. I think they're not looking at what his main point is about the total totalitarian, which is trying to be going on, uh, not only about the the uh, vaccine or whatever else like that, but by uh, George Soros putting all the money into um, get these DAs, and it just happens to be in the uh, Democratic states and stuff where they're being less on crime and lenient, and um, like uh, Bill Gates buying up all the farmland. And China's buying up all the farmland and everything. And um, I don't know if you know if you heard. Um, I, I think it was 2017. They have Vouchy on uh, tape saying that um, he was talking to his people and stuff, and he's going, "Oh, there's going to be a surprise pandemic that's going to hit the new president." You know, things like that. And it's not that that's hearsay. I actually heard it being played on the radio. But thanks for the good show you're doing, buddy. Well, thanks, Bob. Um, one. Um, if, if, uh, I think you can, well, whatever, I'll let Bob's comments stand as, uh, as they, as they are. Um, so I've seen that post all, all over the place that Fauci said the Trump administration will not only be challenged by ongoing public health threats, such as the flu and HIV, but also a surprise disease outbreak. And, um, if you do a, um, so, uh, I I think that there's a little it's a little bit different that to say that Fauci was saying that there was going to be a, a disease outbreak when we had just been through Zika, we had just been through Ebola. It, it's not as if so even if Fauci did say that, it's not as if he was threatening to unleash covid, which is the people that share that. And the people that, like Bob that call about that on the radio, they almost seem like that. They almost seem like, oh, he was threatening to unleash COVID. Whereas, look, there had been a bunch of pandemics. And I, I don't think that that is the smoking gun that Bob thinks it is. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Uh, good evening. Let's put Fauci aside, Frank, okay? There was, what, what Kennedy said, I'm as Jewish as anybody around, okay? There was absolutely nothing, uh, 
negative about what he said or offensive. And, you know, it's repugnant that you and others join the bandwagon of criticism of this man, who I consider heroic, because you know what you do when you do that? You, you imitate the, the people, you imitate the people that criticize Jews for utilizing, invoking the Holocaust for their benefit at every second. Okay, you do the opposite. You're using, you're, you're being opportunistic to use the Holocaust because somebody makes an analogy. Oh, you can't mention the Holocaust. You're being opportunistic to criticize someone who tries to make an intellectual point and incorporates a reference, a simple reference to the Holocaust. That's all he was doing, and he was doing it in the realm right. of warning us, giving us a warning. That's a heroic function. And by the way, right. Rudy Giuliani, of, of, of whom we all hold, has said that the book by Robert Kennedy is one of the most important books written in this century. Larry, okay? I, I had his publisher on for an hour, happily, and I, I invited him on. Uh, again, recently uh, to come on and talk about the book. But when when Robert Kennedy in his comments said uh, that this is, uh, you know, the, the worst oper- the, the worst use of a totalitarian, go- totalitarian government ever in Germany, in Nazi Germany, you could flee over the mountains to Switzerland or you could hide in an attic like Anne Frank. It didn't end well for Anne, Anne Frank. I, I, I just think aside from offensive or not offensive, isn't that a poor analogy to use? Because he's almost making it sound as if your option was to hide in an attic when that really wasn't a viable option for Anne Frank because she ended up murdered. No, Frank, he was not making his, uh, a historically accurate statement. He was using he was using history so, as a metaphor. So it was inaccurate. It was inaccurate. What he said, of course, but he didn't intend okay. it to be hundred percent accurate. You- All right. So then why bring it up? Why bring it up? Uh, thank you, Larry. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. I mean, it's not as look. The thing with Robert Kennedy, he's preaching to an audience that agrees with him. I, I don't understand why you'd need to incorporate an inaccurate Holocaust analogy. And if you want to compare me to uh, whatever, he said something ridiculous about me. God bless him. Adrian is in Manhattan. Hello, Adrian. Hey, uh, I'm Jewish. I was not offended by what he said, and I have plenty of relatives died in the Holocaust. I think I agree that maybe he was off the mark a little bit, but it didn't jump out at me as, oh, my God, what did he just say? No, and also, I think, you know, I just listened to it, unless I heard it wrong. Didn't he say... some died trying. He said you get over the wall. I think it's just his point was that the technology is so advanced. There's so many things that are pushing this, uh, you know, this uh, these mandates, and there's a lot behind it. The, you know, big tech behind it, big pharma, big. And, and I think he just was saying that they didn't have all. It was an analogy that kind of missed the mark, but I don't. I didn't jump out. It just didn't jump out at me as something that was so. Offensive. He did, but didn't he say that some die trying? Well, let, let's listen again, Adrian. Yeah, I thought. Well, Matt's going to cue that up. Go ahead, yeah. Matt. When you're ready. What we're seeing today is what I call turnkey totalitarianism. They are putting in place all of these technical technological mechanisms for control. Uh, we've never seen before. It's been the ambition of every totalitarian state from the beginning of mankind to control every aspect of behavior, of conduct, of thought, and to obliterate dissent. None of them have been able to do it. They didn't have the technological capacity. 
even in Hitler Germany, you could you could cross the Alps into Switzerland. You can hide in an attic like Anne Frank did. I visited in 1962 East Germany with my father and met people who had climbed the wall and escaped. So it was possible. Many died truly, but it was possible. So um, he said both what Adrian claimed that he said and what I said. Uh, he threw, did throw in many died, but it was possible. So there you have it. Maybe I'm making too much of this. Maybe the uh, the Anti-Defamation League is making too much of it. Maybe the Holocaust Museum is making too much of it. And uh, hey, whatever. Different strokes for different folks. 800-848-WABC. Pamela is in New Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Hello. Um, maybe his analogy was a little off, needed a little work. Well, we all make mistakes. But he has the right to say his opinion. We have a right to hear it. Sure. And if you're not one of the people who have been canceled, lost their income, their family suffering, can't buy food, um, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, when your life has been taken away um, and your soul has been murdered, it is very similar. Are, are you... And remember, at the beginning in Germany, it was very subtle. At first, watch the movie Cabaret and you will see you will see how it it overtook them all at once. And there were good people saying, oh, no, this isn't happening. This isn't happening. Well, it's happening here. There you have it. Pamela agrees with uh, uh, part of what Robert Kennedy said there. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. We'll take some calls on a wide variety of subjects for the rest of the hour. And then a few other people were kind enough to send snail mail. So I want to at least read through the people um, the people that, uh, that were kind enough to send snail mail. But we will continue with your calls in just a minute. Hey. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Del Shannon singing Little Town Flirt. This is the other side of midnight. As promised, I want to get to a few other people that have been kind enough to write in. If you want to write in, you could find me at uh, P.O. Box 1777, New York, New York, 10163. Just make sure you send it to Attention Frank Morano. That's uh, P.O. Box 1777, New York, New York, 10163 attention frank morano and perhaps your letter will be read the next time we do letters oh we get letters we get your letters every day mail man mail man mail today reach right in and pull one out those letters i love those letters Right. Hi, Frank. Not only will stay with the Kennedy theme for a minute. Hi, Frank. Not only were Robert Kennedy Jr.'s words offensive, but it, what is worse is that he's using a bully pulpit to convince his followers that he's right and that it wasn't so bad during the Holocaust. Those who believe in Holocaust denial don't need anything more to foment their opinions and hatred. John writing in, all Kennedys are despicable F's. 
Who the F cares what they say? What the, what they say? As for you, you got his message out. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, appreciate that note there, John. Appreciate you being willing to straighten us out. Isaac writes. If the $1,000 minute winning streak continues, John Katsimatidis will have to sell the station. Isaac. I don't think so, Isaac. I think John was as happy as anybody to see the people win the last two shows, especially the fella yesterday that was kind enough to write out the um, to, to make his, his donation go to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, which is very nice. They do some great work. And uh, when you see the fam- what they do to provide for the families of this fallen police officer and every fallen officer, it really makes you appreciate what great work Frank Siller does. You can donate two Tunnel to Towers, by the way, by going to our re- website, WABCradio.com. John Ross writes, Hi, Frank. Last night's show was absolutely phenomenal. The opening format with the guests was brilliant. I love the banter between you and Curtis. I have to say, when he first came back to radio and you were on paternity leave, I was very displeased. But I gave him a second shot after you returned, and I'm glad I did. I absolutely love him now. You are still my favorite, but Curtis is now my second favorite. Love your work, Frank. Always a fan, John Ross. P.S. Please consider doing the panel format at least once in a while. Well, we've, we've been doing it once a week. I like it. I like it, too. I think it mixes it up once in a while. Kind of our answer to the McLaughlin group. Only a little less stiff. Andrew writes, Hello, Frank Moreno. I believe you are a radio talk show national treasure. So far, I agree with every word this guy has said. Very informed, educated, and courteous to all. Also, you consider and measure other perspectives without the need to denigrate. In psychiatry, we call that highly differentiated and secure. Until hearing your show, I had not listened to radio talk in decades, not since a broadcaster named David Brudnoy was on in Boston years ago when I was attending my university. He was also informed and congenial to all. I know you convey a no-concern response to the dialogue about you from Mr. Sliwa, but it has risen to the point where he is offensive to the listeners and his rants about you are venomous, painful to listen to, entirely not true, and enough to turn to another station. Mr. Sliwa has, as all know, uh, a fast-talking talent, a great recollection of news events during his lifetime, and neighborhood knowledge. But he is approaching you as a rival b- b- or opponent as if he is in another political race. He also makes fun of your audience, whereby my guess is that you attract those who are intellectually interested, especially sociologically. Mr. Sliwa is attracting many repeat callers who are not educated and bait him to pontificate on his hatred. One caller stated that Sigmund Freud married his mother, and Mr. Sliwa agreed with the caller. This, of course, is not true, as Freud married his first sweetheart, Martha, and remained with her until his death. Freud's mother was his father's third wife, and simply very young, which prompted Freud to write about the Oedipus complex. Mr. Sliwa is missing formal education. Does Mr. Sliwa have an agenda to take your radio time and day slot? I certainly hope not. Lastly, and most egregiously, I am sorry to say that when an elder Asian man, who was also blind, called into the Sliwa show, Mr. Sliwa hung up on him. Later, the man called back and revealed to the talk show that he was blind. When he began to speak very politely, the program manager, Phil, hung up on him and said his hand slipped. Phil and Sliwa laughed and made a joke of what they did to this man. This is disgusting radio. And unfortunately, my note of appreciation to you 
now becomes a serious criticism of Mr. Sliwa. He is disparaging to Asians, Italians, and Jews. He needs to receive some guidance. He will be flip about any attempt at it, but his manner has now become more offensive than entertaining in finality. Very interesting, Andrew. You've given me a lot to talk about. I will, I will play for you some of what Curtis had to say in just a few minutes, and we'll let people judge for themselves, just like with Robert Kennedy. I'm going to play Curtis's comments as they are, as is, and let you just uh, judge for yourself. As for Philip's comments and his shameful hanging up on that Asian gentleman, I agree with you. That's just uh, reprehensible and beyond the pale. It wouldn't surprise me if um, Philip was one of these people carrying on these anti-Asian hate crimes around the city. Would not surprise me in the least. This is an interesting letter from Patrick in England, ah, across the pond, from Great Britain. This was sent to us by airmail. This might be the first piece of mail that we've ever gotten via international airmail. It was sent on uh, November 26th, 2021, the day after my son was born. Hi, see, it's the uh, handwriting is not the best, so I'm going to do my best here. It also comes with a CD. Let's see, Frank Morano, 77 WABC. November 26, 2021. Well, I mean, I don't necessarily need the CD. I have the clip of the show. I have the whole show. But let's see what he says. Hi, Frank. I was listening to The Other Side of Midnight this morning at 7 o'clock UK time. So what is that here? It's about 2 a.m. here. Okay. And was pleasantly surprised to be able to listen to your program on 770 KHC. What? You understand what he's saying? He is saying he was able to turn his radio in England to 770 a.m. and he got this station. Boy, if that doesn't show we really are the most powerful station, not just in America, but in the Western world. I don't know what does. They're getting this station not on the Internet, on the radio in three countries, at least Canada, United States, Great Britain. This guy hears us all the way in England. That is pretty neat. Please have a listen to my reception on the enclosed CD. The CD will play in any CD player. Okay, so that's why he sent the CD. It's a recording of his reception. All right. I enjoyed listening to your program for the first time. Nice to hear a WABC jingle as well. I've been on your WABC website, and I've been in the shop hoping to buy a WABC coffee mug, placed it in my basket, but wouldn't let me check out because I wasn't in the United States. That is nuts. We've got to rectify this. I would have. It would have been nice to have a WABC mug. Please, will you send me an autographed photo of yourself and a couple of WABC, I think he says, stickers. Thank you. Keep up the good work. All the very best for the coming holiday season. Well, he sent this on November 26th, so the holiday season was still coming. Um, first of all, we have got to send this guy something. Um... And uh, I do. I am amazed that this signal traveled all the way to England. If you're listening to us in England right now or New Zealand or Australia, Antarctica, give us a call. I mean, if that doesn't say exactly how powerful the station is, I don't know what does. All right. Oh, this is nice. This is from Joan Donovan, Jamaica, New York. Nice little thank you card here. Let's see what to thank you for. Again, the handwriting is not the best. So I'm going to do my best with what I have here. Hello, Frank. I am writing to you because I am afraid if I call, you will hang up. 
Well, I, I don't really hang up on people. Well, I, I guess if they get boring, I do hang up on Get off my phone. <laughs> I've had a fall. So right now I'm in rehab uh, for some time. Ah, oh, well, I, I'm sorry to hear that. I have listened to you since you've been on WABC. I also watch you on podcasts. It's very nice. I've been so impressed with all you've... Uh, I can't make that out. I, I've been so impressed with your something, your persona, I think, and your knowledge. How now I'm disappointed. Your program on practical jokes. Uh, let me see where this continues. Oh, your program on practical jokes was insensitive and tasteless. A comment you cre- you curated to you. I can't make it out the word. A comment you curated to rent a house in Cape May for um, you and your wife, not... I, I can't make it out. So you might go... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, was immature and thoughtless. You haven't grown up in spite of having had other children. In this new year, give more thought to what you're doing I can't make out the word. Good luck, Joan. So, one, I appreciate the fact that Joan listens. Second, what she's talking about is I have a love of practical jokes. I am a practical joker's practical joker. I love a good practical joke. And I am immature. I am a child at heart. I still believe in Santa Claus. I am as immature as can be. If you're not going to listen to this show because of my fondness for practical jokes or because I'm immature... You're going to have a very tough time, Joan. I'm sorry about your fall, and I, I wish you a speedy recovery. Uh, hopefully we can win you back, but if, it, if the choice is retaining my affinity for practical jokes or winning you back, I hate to say it, Joan, but I am choosing the practical jokes. We'll do one more here. One more. One more. This is from Irene in Middletown, New Jersey. Now, this is my kind of mail. Now, this looks real. She is included... A $5 bill. Oh, this is not just any $5 bill. This is $5 in silver. This is a $5 silver certificate and a $1 silver certificate. This is, see, we're always doing the Legacy Precious Metals commercials. This is when money was actually backed by something. Now, this is my kind of mail. You want to send me money, we'll happily accept it. Much like uh, Soupy Sales. Um, Okay. I'll do my best with this email here, De- uh, with this uh, letter. Dear Frank, I'm a 59-year-old disabled cataract blind caller from Central Jersey living in a hostile situation. I'm sorry to hear that. I love your show. Listen every night. Comments still in my mind. Apple picking. This is only for women and children to experience. The smell and taste of nature. Crowds. Been a... Uh, reference to the high cost for the memories for life this is not for men in general or elderly men callers who put themselves in that situation born in 1962 i listened to billy elliott justin bieber olivia rodriguez and drake and nas x current artist against all porn industry period need need using up need uprising up Read a how-to book. 
I don't I can't make that. How, love all things vintage also. Sincerely, thanks for listening, Irene. Well, Irene, I'm sorry if I missed a word or two in your letter, but I do sincerely thank you for this $1 silver certificate and this $5 silver certificate. This is very thoughtful, and we will send you a proper thank you note on behalf of... Uh, oh, and see, it's labeled. There's a sticker on the outside of this plastic holder of the $5 silver certificate for, quote, banker Young Carmine from caller Irene from Central Jersey. That's very funny. A reference to my baby banker. That is not Carmine's cry. I want to be very clear. Or his comment. That is not Carmine. But um, that's very nice, Irene. All right. That indeed concludes this edition of... We will continue with your calls, and I'll play you Curtis's comments in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, 800-848-9222. Actually, there are currently no open lines, so don't call because uh, you won't be able to get through. I'll let you know when hang- someone hangs up and uh, you- when a line opens up. Those of you that are holding will get to you throughout the course of the next hour and 15 minutes. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. touch this is the uh, theme song to whenever curtis and philippe get together on the radio they are woke painfully out of touch painfully out of touch curtis was here yesterday and um i exposed his whole scam okay basically what curtis does see when i was curtis's producer which i was for many years i knew what curtis was thinking at all times and he knew that i knew what he was thinking and sometimes his brain, his mouth moves faster than his brain does. So what he would do, we never established this as a formal process, but it just kind of worked out this way. What he would do is he would start saying something. And when he couldn't remember a name or a place or a uh, turn of phrase, he would tap his headphones and I would see him tap his headphones. And that was my cue to get in his ear and tell him what he was trying to say. Believe it or not, now Curtis was shot multiple times. The guy that shot him, if somebody shot me once, let alone multiple times, I would never forget the name of the person that shot me. But sometimes uh, Curtis would tell a story about his shooting, and he would say, 
Yeah, and uh, in June 19th of 1992, uh, the guy who shot me, and he would tap his headphones. And I'm thinking to myself, how does he not remember the name of the guy that shot him? And he, so then I would get in his ear when he'd go, when he'd tap his headphone. And I would say, Michael Yanati. The guy that shot me, Michael Yanati, in the back of a taxi cab, June 19th of 1992. Uh, or, um, you know, uh, if there's some reference to some obscure New York politician and the previous uh, speaker of the New York City Council, uh, Gifford Miller. So I-, I knew what he always wanted to say. But now he doesn't have me. He's stuck with Philippe, who doesn't know what he's saying, who doesn't know what he's thinking. So what he now does on this overnight show, which when it's not a criticism of me, has become a trivia competition. What he does is he can't remember the people that he's trying to reference, the actors, the politicians, the songs, the phraseology, the etymology of a phrase. He can't remember it. And he can't look it up as quickly as someone that I, like me, would be able to during the show. And a lot of times I can't remember things, but I'm able to look things up quickly. Curtis can't do that. So instead, he masquerades it as a trivia question and invites people to call in, hoping that someone gets the right answer. Because you notice, if no one gets the right answer, he never gives you the right answer because he doesn't remember what he's saying. Um, It's really, it's sad if you really want to know the truth. However... This was yet another weekend where the really the only subject covered by Curtis Lewa was Frank Morano and the other side of midnight. He referred to the contest we do at 4.30 every morning as the $1,000 scam. Now, would you have learned that from Frank Morano, who does the other side of midnight five uh, days a week? I don't think so. Nah, of course not. Of course not. Sure. You know, Frank is very anal, in fact, in the 4 o'clock hour. I'm going to play you the scam. I mean, the contest that he runs. You know, you got to get six questions uh, answered. Excuse me. Uh, what is that? Ten questions answered. Ten questions. Right. In yeah, 60 you, seconds. Uh, that's the scam of all scams. I would report it to the attorney general of the state of New York. but she, <laughs> She's too busy uh, suing Donald Trump every chance she gets. Uh, so and then so, I'm gonna, so, someone someone won this week. Yeah, yesterday had the first winner. Because you see, he knew he knew I was going to pick him apart again and call it a scam. And then all of a sudden, miraculously, you notice Frank knew I was going to beat him up right on that scam contest, and he finds a winner after all this time. Now, who do you think is paying the thousand dollars? You think that's Frank Morano? <laughs> he couldn't collect enough cans and bottles. <laughs> And get the nickel deposit on him to pay $1,000. Now, that's actually very funny, I must say. He also accused me of something that he does himself, putting people to sleep. By the way, do you, listen, uh, do you listen to the other host of the daily, uh, nightly form of The Other Side of Midnight, Frank Morano? I go to sleep with Frank Morano. I just... He puts it don't asleep. tell my I wife. I listen to the whole thing. I understand. Look, no. look, he puts a lot of people You I love, Curtis. Yeah. You have no idea how much I love you. Is that Diana Monford that called him Philip? When, you know, accusing me of sleeping with her and then saying I put people to sleep. He continued with this bizarre claim that I put people to sleep. It was a call that clearly said that Frank Morano puts her to sleep. Please. Puts her to sleep. I have kept more people awake in this city than triple espresso. 
I uh, you want to talk about putting people to sleep, Curtis. I will have that contest with you any day of the week, my friend. However, he did uh, claim that I was missing a little something. Now, now, see, Frank, he's not in that category because he's like normal. You know, he's got the family life. He's got the wife. He's got the child. He's never been on the dark side of life. Yeah, yeah, he has not experienced that. Because, Mel, he's been a Mama Luke his whole life until he met Rachel. Curtis obviously knows that's absurd. But um, he, you know, he was one of the people that claimed when my son Carmine was born at six pounds and two ounces. I think he claimed my child was either 13 pounds or 20 pounds. I don't remember which one. But, or 13 pounds or 16 pounds. But he has some updated weight numbers. Not to see Carmine, who, by the way, was birthed on Thanksgiving Day, is now 20 pounds. Call Dyfus. Call Child Welfare. I don't know what he's feeding that kid. And he's having him listen to talk radio overnight. The kid's going to end up talking like me. Well, that would be a, quite a travesty. Yes. Uh, and His last doctor's visit, Carmine, was 10 pounds, 10 ounces. We're supposed to go to the doctor again tomorrow so he can get some shots. Sorry, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, sorry, Roger Stone, but we will uh, get an updated weight on him. And he had some interesting thoughts about uh, my son's middle name. Do you know his uh, son's middle name? Carmine's middle name? Yeah. Uh, I believe it's Gambino. <laughs> he is half Irish, uh, or at least a quarter Irish. He His middle name is William. Named after his maternal grandfather, who unfortunately passed away. Uh, Carmine for my father, William for Rachel's father. But thank you for the the attention there, Curtis. 800-848-WABC. Steve is in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. All right, Big Frank. Is that it, Steve? No, that's not it. I thought you were going to say something. But... Um... When Curtis starts talking to you about you when he does the show, that, that's the time to go to bed. I, I really, I really mean it. I think a lot of people do that too. It gets ridiculous after a while. And um, before I get to Roger Stone, I just want to say something. Uh, you talked about before about I've been on hold for like an hour and a half or something. Um, the thing is, uh, these concerts and shows you go to, you really have to determine, really determine if you want to, you know, confront somebody if they're in front of you or something like that, because they could be with like four or five guys. You could just be there with your girl. My recommendation is go to security or go to supervisor that's in that building and have them talk to the people. I was uh, one time at 19 years old at a rock concert. This guy was standing up in the aisle. He was like six foot seven, and we're telling him, you know, to move out of the way. You know, sit down. He wouldn't do it. He's turning around. Then me and him had words, and I, and I said to him, I said, listen. You've seen trees come down because he was a big guy. He was trying to intimidate everybody like in the section there. Then his friends got him to move away. So my recommendation to people is just get security and try to have it resolved that way. You don't get into a big fight. Especially if you were a girl and those guys are all drunk. Now, Roger Stone, right? Folks, this is the reason why this country is in the, in the garbage dump and it's never coming back. He's going after a good guy, Ron DeSantis. And Ron DeSantis, people should know, the Florida is not, no, is not an easy one for Republicans. And back uh, in 2018, um, DeSantis was almost beat by a crackhead. I don't know if the people know that. Well, you, they you didn't, didn't know, know in fairness, they did not know he was a crackhead at the time. That didn't come out until after the election. Right, but he won by only 30,000 votes, and then um, 
the Grand Orange. Trump only won by 51 percent of the vote in Florida on his uh, when he won down there. You know, when he went for his reelection, he lost, but he won Florida. The thing is, they keep pressing this thing with Hispanic votes and this and that. The first I would say, Stone, what about California? You know, the California's part of this country. These guys keep pushing this racial identity nonsense, and it's it's too bad that they do that because unfortunately, people should just vote on what they believe in, not because they they identify racially with a party. It's ridiculous. I happen to agree all, with you, Steve. Right. And also, Stone, I would say, if he's going to go after Ron DeSantis, who's a popular guy down there, which is stupid politics, they're playing baby politics down there, I would say to Roger Stone, you ready for this? I would say to him, Roger, are you and Donnie still making contributions to uh, Al Sharpton's uh, charity? Am I allowed to say that? And also, I'd like to get on this thing about people getting fired. I call it economic terrorism. You get fired for making a comment if somebody's offended. It seems everybody is offended today. And it's it's unfortunate, but this is just getting worse and worse. And the people who, you know, implement this nonsense, their appetite is getting bigger, folks. And I heard Fauci's name brought up again. To me, Fauci's a Keebler Ralph. He's a front for the establishment. If you notice, most of the people go after him. Never go after Communist China, because Communist China is business partners with the American corporations. And if you look at the income of Chinese uh, Chinese worker 30 years ago, it was like $300 a year, folks. China was collapsing. It was rebuilt by the establishment. And it's unfortunate that the Chinese uh, communists have big influence inside this country. They have influence on your children's future. And is that the kind of America we want? I don't think it is. And we didn't vote for this nonsense. Uh, thank you, Steve. 800-848-WABC. I, uh, I like, you know, I like the Keebler Elves. And I like a lot of the Keebler products, I must say. There's some good stuff there. Tommy is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Tommy. Tommy. All right, Tommy. Hello? Is this still Steve from Manhattan? Yeah, you know what it was, Frank? I was on hold for an hour and a half. I was ready to, no, I was ready to prank the show. I was ready to prank the show, and then you went to me, all right? You know what I'm saying? Uh, that's great. Hey, how would you rank the uh, call screener that um, that allowed you to get through on two different lines, even though yesterday I was told you were banned? Um, our call screener, Ryan, today, as opposed to Philippe, who you have your way with on the weekend with Curtis. Who is superior in terms of ferreting you out? Well, first of all, I like to say something. I would give those guys promotions because both of them. great talk radio. Yeah. And I would use Bob Grant as exhibit A. Bob Grant would never ban callers. He'd go at it with the callers. Well, I, don't, he would, I, I would never ban, ban a caller either. It's management that bans it. All right. Uh, let's see if this is also Steve from Manhattan. Charles in Queens. Hello. Yes, hi. Uh, great show as usual. Uh, I originally called to make a comment on the other issues we were talking about. Uh, but I'd rather make other comments. I hope you let me. The floor is yours, uh, Charles. We have 90 okay, seconds. They're all yours. Oh, boy. Only 90 seconds. Okay. First, well, I wanted to how much time do you that, need, Charles? Uh, I think I have three, four minutes that would interest everyone, I think. Well, do the best you can. And then if we have to okay, continue, okay. We'll, we'll try. Okay. First of all, I wanted to say I'm Jewish and Orthodox. According to Jewish law, halacha, your son, which you said is partially Jewish, that means your wife is Jewish, correct? Well, she's not a practicing Jew, but her mother is a doesn't Jew. It doesn't yes. matter if she's practicing or not at all. 
Jewish. Your son is 100% Jewish. Wonderful. You can marry him to the Jewish faith, and all the rabbis will accept it. Wonderful. Whereas if you were Jewish and your wife not, he's not Jewish at all. So I'm just saying that Jewish law, if the mother is Jewish, the child is Jewish. All right, hey, Charles, I'm gonna, uh, Charles, I'm going to put you on hold because now that you've given me the good news that uh, my son can one day control the media as someone who's one, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> uh, you can, I want to put you on hold, Charles. We'll let you continue after the top of the hour news with Bob Brown, who does a great job. Uh, this is the other side of midnight. Hey, coming up next hour, uh, we will continue with your phone calls. Any subject is fair game. And what happens if you die while you're on death row? There's an interesting debate about that. And some uh, a new court ruling yesterday out of New York on masks. I'll tell you about it. This is the other side of midnight. Until next hour, your influence counts. So use it. This is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. They run in a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. A federal appeals court will review the case of Gary Sampson, who died in a New Hampshire prison. Now, people die, unfortunately, in prison all the time. What's so significant about this? He was on death row. When he died, he died in a New Hampshire prison before he could be executed. So what's the issue? Problem solved, right? Well, maybe not. The issue now is whether or not his sentence should now be vacated. The families of Sampson's victims are absolutely furious. So what do you think? should happen. We do have the death penalty in this country. We don't really have it in New York. But there are many people who, you know, live in states that have the death penalty. And if you this is a person who went on a killing spree in 2001 and he died in a Missouri federal prison at the age of 62 He died from end-stage liver disease, which is a diagnosis dating back to at least 2016. Now, here is someone who murdered three people um, during a particularly gruesome killing spree. He died in a medical prison facility in Springfield, Missouri, same prison where John Gotti died. Over the course of four days in July of 2001, Sampson killed Jonathan Rizzo, 
Philip McCluskey, Robert Whitney. After pleading guilty, he was sentenced to death in 2003 for the deaths of Rizzo, a college student, and McCluskey. That initial death sentence was overturned after a federal judge determined that one of Sampson's jurors had lied about her background. He was sentenced to death a second time following an eight-week death penalty trial in federal court in February of 2016. Excuse me, February 2017. He was tried separately for another murder and received a life sentence. Massachusetts doesn't have a state death penalty, but defendants charged with federal crimes in the state can be put to death. So after the second trial, survivors of Sampson's victims faced him. This is what they said. You showed no remorse and your apology was robotic. That's the son of one of the men that this that this person killed. Another person said simply, rotten hell. Family members spoke of their hatred for Samson, for, of the devastation he caused in their lives, and of their commitment to bringing him to justice. Some of them said they could not bear the thought of him enjoying himself in prison with access to books and television. I don't know, Mary Rizzo, uh, the mother of one of his other victims, I don't know if you'll ever receive the death penalty, and I don't really care. I do care that you will have more restriction on death row. Rizzo said that she was able to push Sampson out of her head during the day, but her nights were still haunted by images of her son's death. For years, she said she was unable to be the wife and mother her family deserved because of the dark hole she found herself in. So on January 11th, Sampson's appellate attorneys filed a new brief arguing his death sentence should be overturned. But before that case could be heard, he died. Although no cause of death's been released, medical records included in the latest appeal of his death sentence showed he had a life expectancy when he was 55 of nearly three years because he was diagnosed with end-stage liver disease likely caused by a hepatitis C infection. In 2016, his lawyer argued that he was terminally ill and that should be a good enough reason not to give him the death penalty. So what do you do with this case now? And what do you do for somebody that is similarly situated? Someone who is on death row and yet they die before they can be executed. There are still appeals being heard in that case. Should all the appeals stop when someone dies? Or for the sake of both the person that is on death row and the sake of their family, should those appeals go forward? I have mixed feelings about this, uh, but I'll tell you where I ultimately I, I go back and forth. On this issue, Um, because let's say someone really shouldn't be getting the death penalty because of uh, a flaw in the prosecution or whatever the case may be. Shouldn't that case serve to set a precedent for future death penalty cases? I think so. But on the other hand. Do we really want people who are dead 
taking up this sort of taxpayer-funded time in the criminal justice system. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on this. Also, uh, the other case, which is pretty interesting out of New York State, is a New York State Supreme Court judge has struck down Kathy Hochul's mask mandate. I know a lot of people are very happy about this. I'll tell you, I'm thrilled about this. I hate wearing this mask. And um, Governor Hochul had said in August that all students and staff would need to wear masks in school. Then in December, she announced a mask requirement for all indoor businesses and venues unless they already require proof of vaccination. Now, um, she said she's going to uh, appeal this ruling by Judge Thomas Rademacher. But it, it appears at the, at the, as of now, you will not have to wear a mask. The, these business, this, this mask mandate has been struck down. So I guess if a business wants to require a mask on their own, they can. But uh, gone will be the days of mandatory masks for grocery stores. So if you want to comment either on the decision by this judge to strike down the mask mandate or the question of what to do if someone on death row dies, what becomes of their case? What becomes of their appeals? Should their lawyers still be able to file appeals? If they filed appeals before the person died, should those appeals even bother to be heard? Or is it a moot point? Are we done? Person's dead. Supposed to be dead. Let's move on. Let's let these judges hear other cases. What say you? 800-848-WABC. Got a very, very positive message from uh, from my wife who uh, writes, Good morning, honey. Carmine slept five hours. Wow, that's a good boy. Now he's finishing up his bottle. We're listening, and he's excited that he could become a rabbi. He said he'd prefer it over becoming pope. Um, my wife is, of course, referencing. See, I am. I really identify mostly as an Episcopalian these days, but Episcopalian is almost Catholic, right? I mean, they consider themselves both Catholic and Protestant. They're both fish and fowl. So um, I had suggested to my wife, who grew up, who comes from an evangelical tradition, I had said, you know, I think it would be nice if we could baptize him Catholic, even though we'll probably go mostly to Episcopal services. Because I would love for him to one day have the option of becoming a pope. Because, look, I, I, I mean, I'm happy to marry a woman who's Irish and and Russian. But by marrying someone and having children with someone who's not Italian, I have now now have a son who will no longer, who will never be able to become a made member of the mafia. So that is one career path that we have totally closed closed for him. Now, I wouldn't want him to join the mafia. Nobody intelligent is in the mafia these days. So why would we want him to be in the mafia? We wouldn't. But it would be nice if he had the option. Um, For instance, he's born in the United States. He'll have the option of being president, should he choose to be. So um, I thought it would be nice if he also had the option of one day being pope. Now, of course, he could get baptized Catholic later. But I think, look, we'll, throw, we'll, we'll get him baptized Catholic now. This way, if he wants to be Pope one day, he can, hopefully. But Rachel clearly disagrees. 
And she says, Carmine would prefer to be a rabbi. The person that gave us that information is Charles in Queens, who uh, got interrupted by Bob Brown's brilliant newscast. I will let him make the rest of his comments uninterrupted and unabridged. Hello there, Charles. Thank you. Okay. Also, I wanted to say, Frank, God bless you for your um, analysis of Kennedy's um, harangue, should I say, whatever. Your, your analysis is on target, and don't at all pay attention to the gentleman that called and said he's as Jewish as anybody, and then he went on to criticize you. He's one of those, I give 20 to 1 odds, one of those self-hating Jews like the New York Times. He's one of those Jews that votes for 70 to 76 percent uh, that votes for, voted for, uh, I'm betting on it, Hillary, Obama. I, I don't think so, Charles. First of all, let, let, let's try not to insult the other callers. But two, he praised Rudy Giuliani, and whenever he calls, he's he's um, supportive of conservative uh, policies and politicians. So I don't think he's uh, somebody that votes Democrat. That doesn't mean what he said is right or wrong, but I don't think he, he votes Democrat. From what he said, it seemed that way to me. I oh, think- no, but even in that call, he went on to praise Rudy Giuliani. In that call? Yes, Larry you're talking about, right? Larry. I don't know the name. I don't yeah. remember the name. Okay. Anyways, um, I also wanted to say, but what you're saying is that I happen to know at least 25 to 30 Holocaust survivors. None of them escaped. My father-in-law was a Holocaust survivor five years in, in six different camps. Uh, God saved He was almost sent to death a hundred times, literally a hundred times. But God wants him to live, and he should have a daughter, and I should marry her and have grandchildren and children. But the point is that nobody escaped. It's almost nothing. Well, it's exactly what you complained about, and you're 100% on target. Now, also, I do bet the differ. You threw in when you said uh, almost never. It's not almost never was there atrocities like what Hitler and the Nazis did. It's definitely never. I'm very familiar with the persecution of the Jews the last millennia, 2,000 years. And before that, in, in Spanish Inquisition, tortured. As a matter of fact, in the Spanish Inquisition, where they were burned to death if you didn't change your religion, that's where Moranos, your name, were born. That's right. Because what they, they, what they did was they, um, they professed, lied, you know, and said that they took on the Christian or whatever it was, faith. But privately, they risked life and limb and torture and death by being Jews. As a matter of fact, most people don't know this. But the Kal Nidra, famous Kal Nidra affair, uh, I'm sorry, Kal Nidra prayer that Jews say on Yom Kippur night, the night before Yom Kippur itself, Kal Nidra is actually saying we forgive or we totally nullify or something to that degree all these promises that these Moranos made. Well, thank you, uh, Charles. Uh, And my wife will tell you I come from a long tradition of liars. So uh, I would not be the least bit surprised if that were the case. 800-848-9222. Hey, Jennifer is in Boston. Jennifer, what do you think of that Gary Sampson case? And in general, what should the policy be if someone dies while they're on death row awaiting execution and while their appeals are working their way through the criminal justice system? Well, a couple of things. Um, first of all, I was a little horrified that in your um, thinking on whether or not the case you know, should go forward after the person has died. You never mentioned the victim or the victim's family. I, I did absolutely um, mention the victims. No, no, you, you, well, I thought you said the family of the, of the person of like Samson in this case. No, no, I mentioned, uh, I mentioned uh, not only all three of the victims' names, but I, me- I quoted, I read the quotes of what they said 
in yeah, court. No, 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 no. I meant your at the end. I heard all that at the end when you were talking about, you know, and that's the question. You said I'm of mixed feeling on it. You went on to say what you said, and you talked about the defendant and the defendant's family, as best I could tell. I never heard you say anything about the victim or the victim. Oh, I, you know, I don't remember mentioning the uh, defendant's family. But whatever the case may be, yeah. uh, what what is your two cents on the on the situation itself, Jennifer? Take a look at Jonathan Rizzo and look at that young man that, that he Yeah, 19 there. years old. It's terrible. He brutally killed him. And he brutally killed that other elderly man. And I can't remember if there was one more. It was horrible. Yes. And um, the, I know people that knew Jonathan and... And he was a wonderful young man, and that was um, it was just horrible what he did. The other man tried to help. It was just horrible. He was a horrible person. And the sad thing is, he knew he was horrible. And if you look at him trying to, he called the FBI. Are you aware of that? Well, and yeah. And, and then he subsequently, that's one of the reasons he pleaded guilty. Yeah, because he, he knew what he did was wrong, and he was a sound mind. So why should this, in the sense that he knew it was wrong, right? So why should his case be dropped and why is it that he should or any of these horrific murderers should have power over these families even after they've gone to the grave, whether it's by, you know, the state or by natural causes? Well, so his lawyers have filed this appeal. And so you think um, even though the if so if he were alive and the appeals unsuccessful, the result would be he would be put to death now. He's dead anyway, so if the appeal fails, the the penalty will not occur. You think this appeal that his lawyers filed should go forward regardless? Uh, I think that his, that his lawyers should just let these people that are left behind, that were ravaged by this, this horrific being, and, and their loss is so profound, let them live in some semblance of peace now that Samson's gone to his maker. I mean, I can't believe what goes on in the name of, quote, justice. Nobody thinks about victims anymore, Frank. Nobody. And that's why, like I said, in your, your, your pie up there, I was a bit bewildered that you mentioned Samson and, uh, to the best of my knowledge, his family. I, not I didn't victim. say anything about Samson's family, Jennifer. I don't know anything I, about Samson's family. Go back and listen to what you said in, in, in his family. Yeah, I, I think I was probably talking about the, the uh, you know, the family of one of the victims. I, yeah, I don't know the delineation, any... Yeah, the delineation was not clear for me. All right, well, uh, was that clear to you, Matt? Was it clear to you? It was not clear to Jennifer. Sorry, I didn't mean to take you away from a Philip conversation. Uh, no, it was not clear to me. It was not clear to you? No. Interesting. All right. Well, it was clear to me, and uh, we can parse... I don't know anything about Samson's family, so I wouldn't have talked about Samson's family at all. What I said was, I read... Um, the, a quote from the former U.S. attorney, Carmen Ortiz, the families felt very strongly that they wanted to see this happen. We supported the, that decision and we, we certainly went through with it, um, The meaning the death penalty sentence. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Pete is on Staten Island. Hello, Pete. Hey, Frank. Yeah, thanks for telling about with the uh, governor, with the uh court overturning that with the mask because uh, I choose not to wear the mask either because I don't really think it protects me unless I'm covering my ears, nose, and mouth sure. and then the other hole I have, you know, that's how I feel about it. And uh, also, I want to talk on that death penalty thing. You know, if we go back to that case with Hernandez, the football player, I think for the Patriots, I think he was, he committed suicide in jail, so he was never found guilty. 
And that means that the uh, NFL had to pay his contract. That's right. I think it was like $200 million to his family. So he he basically offed himself so his family would get the money. You know, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a good reason to kill yourself, but for about $200 million, Believe me, it would it wouldn't tempt me a little bit. I mean, for my family to be well off like that. But uh, also, I want to jump on to the thing in the theater, uh, Madison Square Garden. Pedro Morales. Uh, we're at the match. We're in the uh, down by the loads, you know, right near the ringside. And this guy's jumping up and down in front of us, and I mean, so we asked him to stop, and he didn't. And my friend passed away. I'm gonna give his name, James Driscoll. He was a bouncer in Dad's Lounge on Newdorp Lane in Staten Island. I'm sure your dad was familiar with the place. I think you were a little too young for it. Place was down where the check cash and across from H and L Motors. But anyway. Uh, my buddy actually picked him up and threw him in the ring. And Pedro was fighting at the time, uh, Big John Stud. And John Stud threw the guy out of the ring back into the uh, into the loach again. So that was my story. That's pretty as cool. Somebody That's cool. Up. Yeah. Pedro Morales. I, I, I love Big John Stud. Uh, Andre the Giant was not fond of Big John Stud. Uh, people are just tuning in. We're talking about this situation involving this horrible, brutal killer, Gary Sampson, and uh, the family members of his victims of a mass murderer um, who died in prison have written letters begging the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals for the First Circuit not to overturn the killer's conviction. He died in prison in December. He had been sentenced to death. His lawyers filed an appeal in January 11. So he pleaded guilty to a state murder charge. And the First Circuit is now apparently considering vacating Sampson's conviction, even though he was only appealing his sentence. So in a January 7th order, the appellate court said that Sampson's lawyers have filed a, quote, suggestion of death advising the court of Sampson's death. The government shall respond to the suggestion of death within 14 days of the date of this order and shall include a statement of its position on the effect of the defendant's death on this appeal and the underlying convictions. Prosecutors have until Friday to respond. The family members of Rizzo, one of his victims have already made their thoughts very clear on the matter. They they want uh, this conviction to stand. So his lawyers have gone forward. They filed this appeal. Uh, Maybe that was unclear before. They filed this appeal after this fellow died on death row. So the issue of how to handle the death of a convicted killer who dies while appealing at least part of that case is not new and has frequently made headlines. Uh, We've seen this again and again, but, um, you know, he mentioned the caller, uh, Peter, mentioned the Aaron Hernandez situation. He killed himself while his appeal was pending. And after after Aaron Hernandez, the highest court in Massachusetts found that the rule allowing a conviction and sentence to be erased if the defendant dies while appealing their case was outdated and no longer consonant with the circumstances of contemporary life. We saw this recently with Robert Durst. Um, Robert Durst has, uh, you know, the, the recent death of convicted murderer Robert Durst has already resulted in the dismissal 
of a New York murder charge against him. In California, where Durst was convicted, a lot of legal experts say the law allows the state's court of appeals to dismiss Durst's appeal and set aside his conviction. Now, as far as this fellow, Gary Sampson, the First Circuit cited two possibly relevant cases to his death. In 2020, the second court dismissed as moot the appeal of a defendant who died while appealing only his sentence, but not his conviction. In 1994, the D.C. Circuit stated a rule that the death of a criminal defendant during his appeal abates both the appeal and the conviction. I mean, my view is kind of, he's dead, right? Part of me thinks we should just move on. He's dead. That's what the family members want. Now, should this technical appeal go through that allows this conviction to be vacated, even if it's technically correct, that doesn't make him any less dead. You see what I'm saying? So, I don't know. Tell me what you think. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Jeff is in Suffolk County. Hello, Jeff. Frank, I got three observations. The, the guy that died that killed somebody, who, who's paying for all of these appeals? Oh, you are the taxpayers. Oh, well, what's the sense? Well, You're that's that's horse. what that's what. Well, pardon the pun, right? Uh, that's what I began. <laughs> that's what I began my commentary with. You know, not only are you paying his lawyers, not only are you paying the cost of all the filings, not only are you paying the judges to hear the cases, not only are you paying the prosecutors to respond to the cases, not only are you paying the court clerks, the defense attorneys' clerks, the uh, prosecutors' clerks. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Is um, you know is maybe it's all, you know, not worth going through all this trouble. But at the at the end of the, swamp, the day... The swamp creatures. The swamp creatures are making a ton of money. Right. Well, right. Uh, number uh, two. Yeah. Number two. Uh, on the uh, mask mandate, the, uh, the governor of uh, Virginia uh, receded his mask mandate, and the school districts are firing, not firing teachers, they tell them not to come to work, they're not masking. They tell the kids that don't want to mask. They got to sit in the auditorium all day. But, I mean, as far as the judge saying the mask mandate is no good, it's you know there's just too much bureaucrats, man, everywhere. Yeah, and everywhere. Appa- Thank you, Jeff. And apparently, the ruling, which did come on Long Island, by the way, the ruling on the part of the uh, judge was because the state legislature did not approve Governor Hochul's order. That's apparently the situation. Mike is in New Rochelle. Hello, Michael. Hello, Frank. I was just pondering the thought. You know, I don't know what's funnier, the stuff that Curtis says about you or the way you respond to it, but regardless, it's the funniest stuff on radio. I feel bad for the listeners that just don't get it. He's doing it out of love. We, we, we Friends do that. We break each other's chops. And, and to hear it play out on the radio like it is, it's the greatest thing since he came back. That's the only good benefit of him not becoming mayor. I get to listen to you guys entertain me overnight because it's wonderful. It's great radio. Well, that's very kind of you, Mike. I certainly agree. And you're right. Uh, if Curtis really didn't like me, he would just not talk about me. That's what he does. You could tell the personalities that he likes and doesn't like because he'll never reference the ones that he doesn't like. And you can figure out who that is by who he doesn't talk about. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Ron is in Michigan. Hello, Ron. Good morning, Frank. Frank, the comments by Kennedy 
they, they, I put those in the category of uh, uh, pro-Nazi, actually, in, in this time, okay? And a great book to try and understand, like, for black people who support uh, white supremacist rule, uh, t- case in point, Clarence Thomas, uh, the the reason why people wait 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 wait, Jewish wait, wait, people, wait wait Ron Clarence Thomas supports white supremacist rule. Absolutely. Can you can you name here? I'll give you one example. When he uh, turned down the, uh, the the extension of the civil rights uh, voting uh, rules, okay, which said that the Ku Klux Klan states uh, their voting uh, rights were, were uh, okay for black people. Uh, then, okay, which was a lie. And, and and now they're even going further in, to try and take the vote away from black people. And, you know, you, can you name me one one ruling where Clarence Thomas did not rule in favor of white supremacy? Well, first of all, Ron, uh, you are being ridiculous. You are absolutely um, being ridiculous. Uh, I don't know what you've been through, Ron, but I uh, will guarantee you um, and I'm not defending any decision Clarence Thomas has made, but I, I will guarantee you Clarence Thomas has faced more discrimination than you have, Ron. I'll guarantee you that. Um, f- you're on another planet, uh, quite frankly. And I, I think it's just crazy what you just said. Clarence Thomas does not support white supremacist rule. You could agree with his decisions. You could like him as a person. You could disagree with him as a person. But by voting – to declare Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act as unconstitutional, which he did, uh, I guess, close to 10 years ago, nine years ago, that has nothing to do with white supremacist rule. In New York, for instance, we were covered by the Voting Rights Act. There were three counties that were covered by the Voting Rights Act. Now, New York is a very diverse city, politically and otherwise. But every time New York City on its own wanted to change anything, about its election laws. You want to create a new judicial district? You want to, um, you know, change anything? You had to get pre-clearance from the U.S. Department of Justice because three of the counties in New York were covered by the Voting Rights Act. Now, what sense does that make? A city that, you know, has plenty of minority representation, we still had to go begging the federal government, oh, please let us have control? Over our own laws? Of course not. It's absurd. New York shouldn't have to beg the federal government for permission to change its own election rules. It's crazy. And that's what Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act did. That we can have a discussion about whether, you know, Section 5 should have been ruled unconstitutional or it shouldn't. But for you to say that um, ruling that it's unconstitutional puts you on the side of white supremacists. I mean, Ron, no disrespect, but you sound like an idiot, if you'll pardon my saying so. (sighs) It's one of those days, folks. It is one of those days. All right, we're going to do the $1,000 Minute. Hopefully, we can keep our winning streak going. Uh, We had gone, I think, about eight or nine months with no one winning $1,000. And now, we had a $1,000 winner yesterday. We had a $1,000 winner on Friday. So if you want to try your hand at winning $1,000 and you think you can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, you can give us a call at 1-800-848-9222. Be the seventh caller 
to 1-800-848-9222, and we will give you an opportunity to win $1,000, hopefully, for the third day in a row. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Whenever I walk into a room, I'm not sure what to make of that. Uh, Love Machine by uh, The Miracle. All right. Let's see if we can go three days in a row with giving away some money. We keep doing this. I'm going to be in a lot of trouble, but we'll do what we can. Uh, nobody's told me to stop making up the questions. So uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we don't give away too much money. But it is time for The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's meet today's contestant on the $1,000 Minute, Jeff, in Akron, Ohio. Jeff, I was in Akron, Ohio. Once seemed like a nice enough uh, little town there. Yeah, it's a nice little place. Uh, so Frankie, what, the Mama Luke Murano, huh? That's right. That's right. Yeah, um, according to Curtis. That's right. Well, um, so, Jeff, have you heard this contest before? I have. Uh, I hope I, I'm going to give it my best shot. Okay. I'm a little bit tired, but, yeah. Well, so, uh, so, so far, people have been doing well. We had a winner yesterday, and we had a winner on Friday. So you're just going to have to answer 10 questions in 60 seconds, and you, too, will be a $1,000 winner. Uh, at the, if you answer a question correctly, I'm just going to move on to the next question. I'm not going to pat you on the back or anything. I, I want to go through these as quickly as possible so that we can get through all 10 of these in 60 seconds, okay? Got it, yeah. Ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. How many wheels are on a standard car? Four. What is meteorology the study of? The weather. What is the symbol for potassium? Okay. What is the name of Batman's butler? Alfred. What was the name of the actor who played Jack Dawson in the movie Titanic? Leonardo DiCaprio. What is my father's first name? Ooh, uh, Frank? No, I said it today. Uh, Carmine uh, is his name, uh, unfortunately, uh, Jeff, right. for you. Uh, a, a, a very good, a valiant effort, though. You got five correct, and um, if you stay on hold, uh, we'll we'll give you a, a tchotchke or something. If we have any money left in the tchotchke budget, after all the $1,000 checks that we are giving away, uh, there you go. Um, we'll have Ryan take your information. I want to thank Philippe, by the way, for sticking around, even though he's used to um, disrespecting Asian people. On Curtis's show, he was good enough to stick around in place of Molly today, and that ends up being a pretty long day. Uh, if he's usually done around twelve, screening for Dominic Carter, and he stuck around for another four hours to help us out. So, very, very kind of him to do so. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. If you want to comment on anything we've covered thus far, let me say hello to Nelson in Manhattan. Hello, Nelson. Oh, I'm still here. <laughs> All right, Nelson, be heard. What's on your mind? 
Okay. Uh, well, first of all, it felt a little strange for me to say uh, this was the other side of midnight because I expected uh, Sidney Sheldon to answer somehow. <laughs> he wrote that book and which, uh, spawned, spawned the movie. That's true. Um, yeah, that's Mike Tyson's favorite movie, by the way. Really? That's true. Yes. You would never, you would never believe uh, what is uh, Spike Lee's uh, number one movie of all time. What is it? His favorite. That's his too. The Wizard of Oz. Oh, oh, oh Wizard, no, Wizard of Oz. Okay, Oz. gotcha. I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, what's on your mind, Nelson? Okay, the, well, uh, I, I was going to make a reference to the uh, uh, what you were discussing about Anne Frank. Uh, how, how long was she in in that attic? Was she there like about three weeks or a month or something like that? No, I think it was about two or years. Was it much, two years. Oh well. You know, I think the, the, that what the Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was trying to allude to was that she was able to hide there for a little while. You're uh, right, uh, ultimately, in the whole thing, because she did, she did get caught eventually. But if she had actually uh, had plans to move elsewhere from that point, she might have made it. She might have actually survived. But right. ultimately, you're, you're still right. You're still right because, you know, she got caught. Well, thank you, Nelson. Look. I find the comparison completely ridiculous, uh, to be honest. And again, I'm not trying to disrespect Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He's been a guest on the show. He's welcome to come on in the future. I had his publisher on for an hour. We had a great conversation. I agree with a lot of the things that Tony Lyons had to say. But if Anne Frank was caught in Nazi Germany, not in an attic, but if she was caught on the street, they would have killed her. They would have sent her to a concentration camp and killed her. If they catch you on the street and you don't have your vaccine card, you're not going to be able to go to a restaurant in New York City. Uh, to me, it's just an absurd comparison. It's just completely absurd. I can't get over it, but we'll move on. We'll, we'll move on. Uh, I will tell you that um, Oh, wait, one quick point of personal privilege, if you'll permit me. So. Some Every day, it seems like a different baby gift arrives for little Carmine. And yesterday, someone, and I don't know who, sent two lovely New York Metropolitans outfits for him. One is a onesie, one is like a shirt and pants, and I'm a New York Met fan, and uh, I don't know who sent that to him, but presumably they're a Met fan as well. No note, no card with it. Um... So we're not sure who sent that unless it was – see, my cousin Jason sent me some baby gifts and said that there was going to be some things trickling in at different times. Maybe that's from him. But if you are listening to this show and you sent me a New York Mets uh, childhood outfit for little Carmine, let me know. Email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com because that's quite a mystery. We're going to try to figure out who it is. I will tell you, though, that um, – my son, in spite of my best efforts, is almost destined to be a Yankee fan. Such is the nature of the Morano family men. Maybe it's a a youthful rebellion against your father. You always pick the opposite team. Now, uh, the firstborn son does anyway. I am a New York Met fan, always have been. My father is a Yankee fan. So I think on some subconscious level, I'm sure Freud would have a field day. Freud, who Curtis accused of sleeping with his mother, which is, of course, not true, like most of what Curtis says, um, Freud would say that this was some sort of uh, subconscious effort to, you know, rebel against my dad. My father is a Yankee fan, 
And his father, who was Frank, was a New York Giant fan. So I guess by being a Yankee fan, that was his instance of youthful rebellion. So you have to figure my son, Carmine, is going to do the same thing to me that I did to my dad and that my dad did to his father, which is you pick the opposite baseball team of the one your father rooted for. But who knows? Uh, Perhaps with enough brainwashing, we'll be able to make a Met fan out of him yet. 800-848-WABC. Evelyn is in Bayonne. Hello, Evelyn. Good morning, Frank. I just want to tell you that I think the bantering between you, Curtis, and some other people is absolutely terrific and hysterical. The other day you had a woman host on, or just a guest, who asked Curtis finally if he um, has seven berets, if he wears the same one every day. And you said, judging from the smell, I think we know the answer to that. I was laughing on the bus so hard yesterday. People were moving away from me. So <laughs> that's a good way to keep weirdos on the bus away from you is just laugh. I think it's terrific. It's all in good fun. And I think you both have a terrific sense of humor, and I appreciate you both for that. Well, Thanks, you're, you're, you're very kind, Evelyn, and I'll thank you as well. Uh, you were kind enough to arrange for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. to come on this show, and I thought we had a great conversation, so thank you for that. Evelyn, see, that's what I like, a caller that pitches in. In with guest booking, you know, with, which Evelyn has done uh, several times. 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to James in Brooklyn. Hello, James. Hello. Uh, there were people who climbed over the Alps during World War II to escape Nazi-occupied uh, Europe, and they wound up in Italy, and they came over aboard Liberty ships. They wound up at the port of Oswego in upstate New York. Uh, there's a book, Ruth Gruber, uh, the book entitled Haven. She was an, uh, an official of the uh, FDR administration, and she tells that story. I believe it became a movie. But uh, uh, did you hear about Senator Ron Johnson's five-hour hearing yesterday? Uh, they had uh, Dr. Malone, Dr. McCullough, all these doctors, nurses, officials, lawyers. It, it wound up with this nurse, Nicole Zerotek. She, she had direct experience of the uh, the first wave of the pandemic at Elmhurst Hospital. Uh, she became a, a viral meme online because she broke down and cried. And she complained, basically, that the hospitals at that time uh, were like concentration camps. They were giving these uh, patients that had just arrived, they needed to be put on ventilators. They put them on remdesivir, and that's what kills them, basically. They, they were being killed by neglect and, uh, and malfeasance, and she's very knowledgeable. So I hate to spoil the fun. Well, thank you, James. Uh, You hear the music playing, uh, so um, when you hear the music playing, that is your cue for the call to end, just like Larry David does in his conversations on Cure Beer Enthusiasm. Once you start hearing the music, the orchestra playing, you've gone on too long, as was the case with James there. Hey, uh, speaking of nothing, apropos of nothing, uh, the Woody Allen book of the same name published by Tony Lyons, I might add, I was – my wife and I – went to visit another couple that we're friends with, Rich and Danielle. And uh, Danielle recently had a a baby as well. So it was the first time our sons met one another and had a great time. Uh, They they were very good hosts and Rich was kind enough. He asked what kind of eggs we wanted and my wife kept it simple 
and said, oh, you know, she'll take scrambled. Uh, I, of course, uh, to be as pretentious as possible and put out our host as much as possible, requested that my eggs be made soft-boiled. Rich came through. He made uh, soft-boiled eggs. They were great. Very good. Uh, And uh, it was great to see the baby and uh, great to see Rich and Danielle. I hadn't seen them, I don't believe, since their baby was born. And my wife and I are driving home on Sunday and we're racing home because it seems like every weekend there are always people coming over. We're going to try and maybe get a little bit of a break this coming weekend because every minute of our weekend is is filled in with some sort of social obligation. But it's about 3 o'clock and we're trying to make it home for 3.30. And I have explained to you before, I don't notice anything. I don't know whether this is a function of my narcissism or just that I'm always thinking. I have no awareness of my surroundings. You ever see Mr. Magoo? where he can't see anything, he just walks into all sorts of hazardous conditions, he doesn't notice anything. That's basically me. I can see perfectly, but I don't absorb any of my surroundings. I am totally oblivious to the world around me. Now, we're driving home, and my wife says to me, as she's driving, she says to me, what's that dog doing over there? What dog? That dog, He's done, he doesn't have a leash. He's running around. So she pulls over. She says, I don't want him to get hit by a car. And so we pull over on a busy street, busy street. And she says, I have, she said to me, I have dog treats in the trunk. Now, I don't know why we have dog treats because we don't have a dog. But okay. She says, I have dog treats in the trunk. Go and uh, give him some dog treats. See if you could see what's going on there. So I go across the street and this dog is a big dog. He's a Doberman. Doberman. Tough looking dog. And he's barking like crazy. He's fast. He's running around all over the place. Now, I'm a dog lover and I'm concerned that this dog is going to get hit by a car. I'm looking at this dog. The dog has no collar. No collar on. So I am trying to keep the dog from running into the street. So I have this box of dog treats. I throw some dog treats in the dog's general direction. He swallows a couple and um, then basically loses interest. And then he starts running towards me. And he, again, he's got no collar, no dog tag, no identifying remark uh, markings on him. And now my wife, it, now it's busy with traffic. There are cars buzzing all around me, back and forth, back and forth. And... My wife's across the street. She, of course, let me let me deal with the dog that she spotted. Okay. And the dog is barking loudly. So I can't hear a word. And my wife is shouting to me over the dog barking, over the cars in traffic. She's shouting. She's saying, don't get hit by a car. And And I'm trying to keep the dog from getting hit by a car, but I also don't want the dog to bite me. So I'm trying to maintain this equilibrium Whereas I keep enough of a distance from the dog so that if he's aggressive, he doesn't bite me. But I'm also trying to keep throwing treats at him so he doesn't go and into the street and get hit by one of these cars that's buzzing by constantly. So uh, we almost, both of us, almost get hit by a car. uh, And uh, lo and behold, another lady comes up. She pulls up behind my wife and says, 
is, you know, uh, I think I saw where that dog came from. I think I saw him run out of a fence. And so she makes a U-turn to go and and uh, and see about uh, finding the owner of this dog. Now, what am I to do? Now, another woman pulls over. She said, is that your dog? No, we're trying to figure out what the deal is. So she stays there and she pulls her car to block incoming traffic from coming in the dog's direction. Now, I don't know what to do. What do you do? Dog, no collar, running around. He's fast, this dog. I don't want him to bite me. I don't want him to get hit by a car. And uh, I don't want to have a very unhappy wife wondering about the status of this dog. So I had downloaded something called the Citizen app. Are you up on this? The Citizen app is really neat. It tells you about all sorts of police activity or anything that's going wrong in your area. So, like, right now, I'm going to pull it up, and it it it, it uh, will tell you um, about all sorts of things. Bicyclist struck by a vehicle on 49th and 7th. Attempted house break-in on East 58th Street. You know, it tells you about all the things that are going on near where you are. So I start taking video of this dog, describing where I am and what's going on. And I post this video to Citizen. It gets it gets posted and it with the headline, is this your dog? And then hundreds of people start watching this video right away. Then just literally minutes after I start posting this video, a police vehicle comes, a police uh, car comes and they they shout to me on the loudspeaker we'll you know we'll take it from here get back into your car we don't want him to bite you and they i don't know what they do they get a hold of this dog somehow they knew what house this dog belonged to so they bring the dog back to the house that he lives in again no collar then my wife is just still pulled over waiting to see what happens here and the police come back to where we are, and she said, and they said to us, a man and a woman, police officer, they said, we've seen this dog before. He gets out. They let him out in the yard, and he gets out of that fence. And the officer said, um, you know, something's, something could happen here. If this happens again, I'm going to write them a summons because this is now the second time this happens. I've seen this dog before. I'm going to see him again. And, um, and the officer is absolutely right. It's very irresponsible of these dog owners especially with a Doberman, to let him run around if he can get out of this fence, especially with no collar. So that was our drama. So I said to the police, how did you how did you know to find us? Did you check the Citizen app? Uh, did somebody call you? He said, no. We just happened to be driving by, and we saw all these cars ducking out of the way of you and this dog. So uh, that is some um, great police work. That's what's so great about being a cop and at the same time so scary. You never know what you're going to be called upon to deal with. Oh, there's a terrorist? The police deal with it. There's a domestic violence incident? There's a, the police deal with it. Somebody's speeding and out of control? The police deal with it. Uh, there's a, a dog that's on the loose? The police deal with it. And that's where I really do admire the men and women of the NYPD so much because they're called upon to deal with everything. So I was happy that we found the dog and got him home. I was happy I didn't get bit. I was happy neither of us got struck by a car and thankful that my wife was not as oblivious as I am and she's actually able to pay attention to her surroundings. So on the whole, I think it was a happy ending. But it's also a cautionary tale. If you have a dog, keep a collar on him. 
I, mean, I don't know. I can't imagine having a dog with no collar. 15 seconds of fame next. Three open lines. 800-848-9222. If you want to be heard for 15 seconds. 800-848-9222. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. I'm like the big dog, the German Shepherd, and he's like a little poodle. Go. WABC. Start your morning with Frank Morano on 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. The other thing my wife mentioned during this dog incident the other day was she she took note that all three of the people that pulled over were women and none of the guys pulled over to try and help with the dog. They all just kept driving by. It was all three women. I wonder if all the guys are as oblivious as I am. I just got another email from a gentleman named James listening to us in England. They can hear this show in England. We are literally traveling with radio waves across this pond. So whether you are in the colonies or in the motherland, you can be heard for 15 seconds by dialing 800-848-9222. It's time for... Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Let me begin with Mike in New Jersey. Hello, Mike. Hi, Frank. 15 seconds of shame. Howard Stern, who was a rebel and a scoundrel, has evolved into a wokester. It's sad to watch the de evolution of radio greatness. He's become the man. Russ in White Plains. What standard car? doesn't have a steering wheel and the holocaust didn't start with the final solution it started with saying jews carried disease and infected others so-called vermin in the larder uncle willie in new jersey yes it's time to boycott new york due to the crime and the people better rise up and get rid of joe biden we're on a path to nuclear war this man should be removed what's left of the conservative media should be shouting and screaming for his resignation cheech in howard beach Mayor Eric Adams, you want to make the city? You got to make the city safe and clean. Bring back stop question frisk. Jim in Manhattan. Read the cat in the hat by Dr. Seuss. Read the cat in the hat by Dr. Seuss. Janine Pirro sent an innocent man to the electric chair. Read the cat in the hat by Dr. Seuss. Rick in Tom's River. Yes, good morning. With the... uh, Mandates of the restaurants in New York City. You want to eat in a restaurant? Take the path train to New Jersey. No restrictions. And finally, Mark in Westchester. Yes, I would like to wish my second daughter, Kate, a happy birthday. She's 16 years old. She loves listening to your show with me. Two thumbs up for my oh. daughter, Kate. Well, that's absolutely, that's great. That's wonderful. I will join you in wishing Kate a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Kate. I hope uh, all your wishes come true today and always. The WABC Early News is next. And then uh, you got Sid and Bernie from 6 until 10. I'll be back at 1 a.m. with Dr. Sky, Frank Moreno. Good day. Host Nerdly, 